Hey guys, what's up, and welcome to the Pursuit of Authenticity podcast. My name is Courtney Bishop. This is episode 14, an interview with Seth Holton out of Pro Chop Training. In this episode, you will get to hear plenty of knowledge from Seth as he shares all of his experiences and lessons learned as a baseball player, a baseball coach and hitting coach, as well as a strength and conditioning coach for baseball players. You'll learn useful tips in this episode, like how to be successful in the recruiting process, some practical drills to apply to your hitting, and much more. So if you are a player, a parent to a player, or a coach yourself looking to help an athlete get to that next level, get to college ball, make sure to give the full episode a listen so you can take away all of the useful information to help you pursue your potential. Towards the end of the episode, you get to hear some exciting announcements from Seth that he has on the horizon. So make sure to sit back, tune in, and enjoy the show. All right. So welcome, Seth. Thank Thanks you. for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm glad we talked about this a few months ago, and then coronavirus happened, and so now here we are, finally getting to do this interview and take some time to learn more about you and your business aspirations and all of that. So Yeah, I think the first time we talked about it was like, you just started doing this. It was before your first one. Oh. Yeah. So wait, back in... This was back before Corona oh. started, I think. And then it was like a month or something before Corona started. Yeah. I know you were gearing up to start this, and then Max and Jay were going to be like your first ones. Mm-hmm. And then Corona hit, and it's like... Oh, what do we do now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, I technically started this back in like 2016, if oh. we're going to go way, way back. Mm-hmm. But when I started back then, I had done a few episodes and then I kind of fizzled out for a while. My coaching career kind of started to get a little bit busier and my full-time career as well. And so then I picked back up my episodes with Jane Max before coronavirus. And then we talked about doing this recording. And so... Here we are in June, and luckily coronavirus is kind of coming to an end. It's weird. We don't know yet. Yeah, it's kind of like day by day changing, but hopefully, knock on wood, we're like sort of at the tail end. And I, I like to think so. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I think everyone's still kind of in that cautious mode, but it's more like, okay, we're just going to have to live with this right? moving forward, and it seems like more people are more prepared for it. It's like a new normal. I think I was just talking with someone the other day talking about how we're people who maybe were not as aware before are like, oh, I should wash my hands. I should exercise to boost my immune system. And like all of these things we should be doing. But coronavirus is kind of the wake up call to be like, yeah, I'm going to do that moving forward. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's definitely not the flu, but it's kind of gotten... Like, now that we're into June about it and everything's opening back up, it's kind of got the same feel as, like, it's going to come back around, we just got to prepare for it, we got to keep ourselves clean, you know, do all those things that we try to avoid the flu, and then if you get it, it seems like more and more people are more prepared for it. Right. Which is nice to hear. Yeah, rather than just being, like, so fearful 
not wanting to open anything back up because obviously that's not very good for the economy and kind of affecting people's mental health too, which is... Yeah, I can, I can definitely see that. I mean, I, it was hard for me to stay cooped up. Yeah. Luckily, I, my work only did like two weeks of voluntary shutdown because we were considered a central business. Mm-hmm. Um, but even those two weeks of not going to work, it was nice to sleep in until 11 o'clock and yeah. not have to do anything. But after like the first week, it was like, man, I need to get out of here. Yeah, it does. It takes a toll on you. Like not because what I was saying earlier was I'm glad we're finally able to do this in person because during the whole quarantine, I was going to do virtual interviews with podcasts, but then I was like, it's not the same, just, you know, being on a screen with someone or on the phone. So it's nice to be able to finally be in person again now that the risk is lower and, yeah, we can be safe about it. (laughs) Just being able to interact with people is nice again. Yeah. Even if you you go into the store and you do have, you know, people that are a little more lax, there's other people that are a little more cautious – like just being able to be around people and go out and do things that we weren't able to do is really nice. Yeah, it just like makes you feel more human rather than just like stuck to technology and being like, when am I going to be able to see a real person again? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm glad we finally have this opportunity. So today we wanted to kind of talk about your um, background. So you are a former baseball player, so I want to dig a little bit into that, talk about how long have you played, um, up to what level did you play. You also have experience as a coach for baseball, so talk about more of your background with, you know, what age group did you coach, where do you want that to evolve moving forward, and then, um, yeah, we can dive more into, like, your business goals and stuff. So let's start with talking about well let's talk about how we met actually so <laughs> you are a former baseball player and I formerly played softball so we met at Aquinas College we did right here in Grand Rapids Michigan um and then from there we actually so what year did you graduate again I so my senior year at Aquinas playing baseball was 14 okay and I technically graduated in 16. Okay. Yeah, I was, I was one of those college athletes that took a little bit after I was done playing. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. Do what you gotta do. <laughs> so, you graduated a little bit after me. I was 2013, but then in 2015, we met through Unreal Fitness, yep. the same gym that we were training at. Um, I was competing in powerlifting at the time, and you were... I was um, still playing... The way I describe it to people is... Uh, the Missionary Braves out of Saginaw is they've always been like a collegiate summer ball slash independent ball team. Okay. So mostly college guys or guys fresh out of college, you know, late, mid to late 20s that Mm -hmm. can still play. And I was playing for them and I didn't have any college baseball to do anymore so I needed something to keep myself in shape. Yeah. And I just randomly just started looking up what gyms were in the area, like how much they were, and I popped up on Unreal Fitness and nice. I shot Jay an email and the rest of it uh, yeah. as you could say is history. That's awesome. Uh so you let's see, you were playing for that collegiate team. Let's go back in time a little bit though. Yeah. When did you start playing baseball and like let's go through your journey of how you got to Aquinas. (laughs) I mean, as much detail as you want to go into, but I know, like, 
you know, all of that stuff matters. Your history to get you where you are and where you want to go. So. So I have been playing baseball since, man, five years old. Okay. Four or five years old. I'm similar. I mean, started right out of T-ball. I lived right down the road from Western Little League. Nice. Um, played for Western Little League actually for 13 years. Okay. Um, yeah. Even through high school, because that was still back in the day when travel teams were around, but they weren't as nowhere near as big mm-hmm. as they were and like today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Little League was still where you get a lot of the competitive players even in high school they call it big leagues yeah um that's what i was going to ask did you mm-hmm. play big league then mm-hmm. okay i did play big league my the summer after my junior year i actually went to the big league world series oh awesome down in easily south carolina okay and the summer after my senior year we almost did back to back but we lost in the regional finals oh, yeah damn yeah <laughs> but i mean that to this day that was one of the most fun tournaments I've ever played in, and also collectively the best competition I've ever played against. Because, like, I mean, playing for Little League is cool. I remember having similar experiences with softball because you do get to meet all of the different, um, you know, uh, players in your area that are progressing their skills all Mm -hmm. through Little League, and then you build chemistry with these players, and then you eventually possibly play with them in big league and again you that chemistry over time just makes the team better on and off the field and then yeah the the relationships that you develop with all these people either in your community or if you play big league and you get to do these world series opportunities then you get to meet people from all over the country or the world all, all over the world yeah I and mean, it's we just were, we humbling. were roomed with the dominican team on our floor and yeah. then we stayed at um some Wesleyan college. I can't remember yeah. exactly what it was. Okay. Um, but yeah, there was a team from Canada, Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, Taiwan. So cool. All over the world. And I mean, all of us were just on this little, kind of almost like if we were on Aquinas' campus, staying in the dorms together. Okay. So it was real fun to get to meet, you know, a lot of players from different states and all over the world and like yeah not only are you there you know getting better at baseball with each other but you're learning more about their cultures possibly too and just like growing as a human as you are growing as an athlete so Mm -hmm. it's yeah it's cool to see the opportunities that the sport uh provides so after big league then where did you go from there um so i went to catholic central high school here in grand rapids okay uh played three years of varsity um, I was lucky enough to make the All-State team. I was second nice. team All-State, but I was lucky enough to make All-State my senior year. Nice. And then I ended up taking a scholarship offer at Davenport University. Okay. Um, I was the second class that Davenport brought in. So this is right when they started their program. Okay. So what year would have was that? That was fall of 09, spring of 2010. Okay. Um and then what was your primary position in high school? And what did you get recruited for? In high school, my primary position was third base. Okay. Once I got to college, that's when things changed a lot. Mm. Um, I was primarily known for my bat. Okay. Not, not my de- I mean, I wasn't terrible at defense, but it wasn't like I was a golden glove guy. Mm-hmm. I was the bat in the lineup. 
Gotcha. So once you get to college and you have that bat, it's kind of almost like travel ball nowadays. If you have a bat, we're going to find a place for you. Mm -hmm. So I started playing all different sorts of positions. Just to make sure you're in the lineup. Just to make sure I was in the lineup, which was a crazy experience. Okay. To try to learn so many different positions. Especially at that age, because when you're younger, it doesn't really matter what position you're in in, like, Little League, like, at least for softball. You didn't want to play outfield in Little League because no one could hit it that Mm -hmm. far. And then if you were playing infield, it was... Like, it didn't really matter if you were at first or at shortstop because you're just throwing and catching the ball, most likely. I mean, pitcher and catcher is a little bit different because there's more specialized skills there. But as you get older in high school, then it's like even the differences between playing left field and right field, it's like you start to see the ball come off the bat a little bit differently. And it's like, okay, I want to stick to just left field maybe because I can read the ball better this way. I know like when I'm supposed to back up third or when I'm supposed to, you know, different um, like specialties, I guess we'll call it, that are required of each position. So when you are at the college level and they start trying to make a utility player out of you, when you've only known third base is your like primary position, that's kind of a lot to learn when you're, you know, a a little bit older. Especially when you're that age and... you know, being able to make the All-State team, it, it was really hard for me to come in as, like, a freshman. I was the guy on the team. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had a couple of really good guys. Another another of my teammate made All-State. But it's hard to make that transition. Like, you're the guy on the team, and you're like, okay, I'm going to play third base mm-hmm. right away. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. you're told, uh, we got a 21-year-old that is a grown man right now. Yep. But you got to learn all these different positions, and it's like, oh, i got to start over from scratch. Yeah. This is weird. Humbling, right? It's really humbling, because then on top of that, you have to you have college classes to go to. you got to maintain certain grade point averages. Yep. And you got practice schedules, workout schedules. And then on top of that, you got to learn a whole different position yeah. that you've never played in your life yeah. since you were, like, seven years old. It can, like, mentally take a toll on you, too, confidence-wise, right? Mm Because it's like, you're saying, you're so used to, like, oh, I'm I'm starting third baseman, this is who I am. And then you get to college, and you're like, oh, I I don't really know if that's what I'm going to be doing. And so then... It's like it's you have to step into that uncomfortable territory again of learning something new to be humbled and start to progress your skills from different angles of the field. And not many, not many guys, and I, I'll even say girls that go to college softball, if you have to change positions, and we're seeing this in travel ball too, mm-hmm. not many people that are at that level can handle that right away. The real yeah. special ones can handle it, and I'll even... I, I'll be honest, I wasn't one that could handle it. Mm. Um, it was really hard for me to accept low man on the totem pole after yeah. being the high man on the totem pole the right. year before. The big fish. <laughs> and, yeah, and I, I, I don't even know how to explain it, to be honest. It's really a shock to the system. It's more than humbling, and if you don't have the right mindset to do it, mm-hmm. like, it can almost really take you down a notch and go past that oh you got to start over it's like oh no you gotta almost relearn the whole sport so how did you handle that did you have like coaches that kind of took you under your wing or like other players that sort of mentored you or Um, did 
past coaches maybe? When I, when I got to Davenport, um, I didn't, I, I'll be honest, I didn't handle it very well. Mm-hmm. And when I was that age, like, I wasn't really good at handling my emotions. Okay. So it really became almost like I got in my own way, mm-hmm. whereas it was like, okay, I think I should be starting. And it was kind of that almost arrogance level. Yeah. And... I would keep questioning coaches and stuff like that, and it really kind of put a divide in the relationship between me and the coaches. I see. Which I think really hindered me, mm-hmm. looking back at it. Actually, I know it hindered me mm-hmm. in my development. Instead of actually taking that humbling approach and be like, okay, I'm going to learn from the guy ahead of me and learn from these coaches that do know more than me. Mm-hmm. But I was definitely that 18-year-old coming that in that, like, knew more. I, that I thought I knew more. Yeah. And I didn't. Yeah. Isn't it funny? That's so typical of, like, the college student. No matter – I feel like that's a timeless thing of college kids. Like, mm-hmm. you just – feel like you're you're so confident and cocky especially like a lot of athletes can be and it's like the coach you know says something to you and makes you face a little bit of adversity and you're just like like they don't what do they know and it's like you question them when really it's like uh, that's the moments that you need to be teachable or coachable so that you can get better and grow to be whatever it is that they see in you that you're just like being hard-headed about <laughs> yep, and you don't even realize you're just digging yourself a deeper hole that yeah. you might not ever get out of yeah exactly so did you end up I mean you said you didn't handle that very well so did you stay at Davenport no or I did that not season? I, I did not stay at Davenport I was there for two years okay um needless to say I dug myself a pretty deep hole okay uh and my third year at Davenport things really came to a head. Mm. Um, A new coach was hired, uh, not a head coach, but an assistant. And he is the type of coach that is either going to fall in love with you right away Mm. or he's going to hate you. Kind of like he had favorites or? uh, Yeah, I mean, every coach has their favorites, but like this type of coach is... Like, if he really likes you, he's always going to be talking to you. He's always mm. going to be joking with you. Like he's he's going to do anything he can to help you out. Okay. If he doesn't like you, he's going to do anything he can to make you quit. Because in college, they like it's really hard to get kicked off a team when you don't do anything wrong or your grades don't suffer. Yeah. Um, but there are coaches out there that will try to get you to quit. Okay. I fell into that category. Oh, no. But it was my own fault. I'll admit it. It was my own fault with my my attitude, the way I had the outlook in my yeah. early years of college. It was my own fault. And me and him really butted heads. Mm. And that kind of affected me and the head coach's relationship, mm. too. And that came to a head when I got pulled into the office the head coach's office, Mm -hmm. and he basically laid out in fall three different options. He was like, you can play JV the whole year. Mm -hmm. Um, You can transfer, and we'll release you from your scholarship. Mm -hmm. Or you can quit and just go to school here. Those were the three options I was given in the middle of fall ball. So was it... 
was he asking you this because like there was like disruptive environments in the team or just more than likely okay yeah because okay. uh the week before me and this assistant coach really got into it okay because you know i i was the type back then and i still am like I'm not afraid to fire back, mm-hmm. um, and I unfortunately fired back on him at a practice when he was giving me a lot of a lot of shit. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> and basically, we got into a yelling match, and it ended with him telling me like he's done with me, like not even gonna try to coach me, stuff like that. Okay. And then the meeting happened a week later. Okay. Yeah, it's those moments you look back on, and it's like. You couldn't see it at the time because mm-hmm. you were so, you know, in it. But it truly is, like, you have to get out of your own way. But, I mean, it's a lesson learned now. It, it is a lesson learned. And it's, a, it's honestly, it's a lesson I've carried with me ever since. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a lesson that I use in my own coaching. Like, a lot of the stuff that I do coaching is to prevent a lot of these guys from making the same mistakes that I did. Yeah, that's awesome. That you're using it as a tool now to improve your life and other athletes rather than just, like, kind of getting hung up in the past and being like, oh, man, like, why did I do this and blah, blah, blah. So it's good you're using it to serve you. Mm-hmm. Um, so when he decided to give you these kind of ultimatums, I guess, yeah. <laughs> which – and then – I know that you ended up at Aquinas, so I assume this is where you transferred. Um, actually, no. Oh. Um, I was still in my stubborn phase. <laughs> so, um, well, at least my fiance would say I'm still in that sometimes. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I basically told him, like, no, I'll take the JV route, and uh, you'll see me on varsity by the surprise springtime. Hmm. Like, basically, like, I'm going to prove you wrong. Okay. Well... <sighs> That didn't work out too well. Mm. (laughs) Um, Things kind of got worse from there. Um, Partially still me because I was trying to prove them wrong, but also there were stuff on the head, things on the head coach's part that probably didn't help it. Mm. Um, And I ended up looking into transferring, and I was young. I didn't really know what I was doing. Yeah. And I contacted Aquinas' coach. Okay. And um, just to make inquiries, it was the first one I inquired into because um, Green Slate did try to recruit me out of high school, and I just didn't want to go there. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had a familiarity with him. So that... um, what I didn't know is if I contacted other colleges while I'm still at one, they're mm. required to let Davenport know, hey, your player contacted us about certain things, such and such. Yeah. And the day after, I got pulled out of winter workouts, mm-hmm. and basically the head coach was like, we know you contacted Aquinas. Have a nice day. See you later. <laughs> you're yeah. like, oh, yeah. And you're like, you did oh, that. um, I wasn't actually like trying to do this right now, but okay. Oh wow. So, yeah, you don't know what you don't know at the time, and there are certain rules to the whole recruiting game that. Yep. You again, lesson learned. Lesson learned again. <laughs> oh my goodness. So I want to kind of hear more about like where were you at in your headspace for maybe other college kids that might listen to this and are dealing with, you know, they at the 
because I can kind of relate in some ways. So I'm thinking at the moment in college, you're dealing with this adversity from a coach, but it doesn't feel like they're trying to help you grow at the time. Mm. It feels like a roadblock kind of, right? So where were you at in your headspace at that time so that maybe other athletes can recognize it in themselves if they are feeling similar? I, I think you put it really good. Like you really feel like it's a roadblock. Mm-hmm. Like, you really feel like, oh, this coach isn't trying to help me succeed. He's trying to block me from it. Gotcha. Um, yeah. What I've learned from it is they weren't really giving me roadblocks. Like, they tried to help. They tried to get me to play outfield. They tried to get me to play first base. Hmm. Um, they talked to me about certain goals that I wrote down in fall, and they're like, these kind of are selfish goals. We're looking at this other player that, like, basically mm-hmm. is like, whatever the team needs. Yeah. I'll do it. And, you know, what I realized now is they weren't really giving me roadblocks. They were actually doing everything they could mm. to get me into the lineup. They were doing everything they could to give me a spot, but yeah. I was giving myself the roadblock okay. the way I was thinking. What they were actually doing is, okay, this is the road that you're on and you want to go, but here's a slight detour we're going to take this path it's not it's not that your road's blocked there's just another path to take yeah and i didn't i didn't realize at the time the way i was thinking because it's like you have this you're envisioning in your mind this is where i want to go and if i'm not able to go exactly on the path that i thought then you know what's the point and it's it's frustrating, but it's like, yeah, they had these other stepping stones. Like, well, if you try this or you try this. And I think kind of what you were saying earlier, the the good, or not, I don't want to say good athletes, but the coachable athletes are the ones that will, you know, do what it takes for the team. And they'll step up and they'll be like, okay, yeah, I'll be utility or I'll do this, I'll do this, if that's going to afford me the opportunities to see playing time or get in the lineup or whatever it is to be part of that community instead of just uh, being more selfish and preventing themselves from being part of like that bigger picture that they want to. Yeah, no, I mean, that's pretty much what it is. is yeah. You know, I was of this selfish mindset, okay, here's the roadblock, but I'm just going to barge through it. Like, I'm going to try to, (laughs) like, when you see the door says pull, and you try to push, it it just doesn't work. You're sitting there pushing forever. (laughs) We're like, hey, it clearly says pull, just try this different option. Yeah. And even though, like, I would, I tried to play first base, I tried to do off, I didn't really commit to any of those options. I was committed to what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Instead of, okay, I'm not comfortable at first base, I'm not comfortable in the outfield, but if I would have committed to it, mm-hmm. it wouldn't have been that hard to get used to it. Yeah, it really is like a mindset shift in those moments, and it takes like self-reflection of the you know college athlete to understand, in your mind, you thought you were up to this level, but the coach is telling you, you're actually not exactly where you thought you were in relation to the team, but that's okay because we can help you get there if you, you know, go through these these hoops or whatever. Um, but in doing so, I think it takes reflection of the athlete to know, 
uh, like in your instance, you said, I can play first base, or they were trying to get you to play outfield. And instead of trying them, but knowing, like, this doesn't feel like the right fit, this isn't really me, and, like, not all the way committing, that's an opportunity instead of thinking, like, okay, I really need to just hunker down and, like, commit to this. Mm-hmm. Maybe you should just talk to the coach and be like, hey, I I want to, like, honor your request of, like, trying these other opportunities, but, like, these aren't feeling right and these aren't feeling right, so, like, what, where can we go from here? And just work on compromising with the coach and finding find a way to make it work for yourself and for the team, you know, for the greater good rather than just being, like, um, you know, doing something like half-heartedly because then that's not in the best interest of the team or yourself, and it's it's not going to work out. Maybe no, it's, <laughs> it's definitely not going to work out. And that's one thing I never did. I never actually went to the coaches. Mm. I just expected, I guess you could say, to be shit on. Mm. Like I just expected. Okay, they're never going to let me do this. Yeah, and. Instead of, you know, going and pursuing the other things they wanted, Mm -hmm. you know, I was just in that young mindset of, I'm just going to basically complain about it, Mm. which got nowhere. It got somewhere. It got me out of there. (laughs) (laughs) Whether you liked it or not. Yeah. You know, and it really does, because I had a similar instance in high school that I felt a bunch of adversity from a coach. And I, at the time, it was just like, this coach wants to do everything in their power to make my life hell. And it's like, it, it wasn't like that, but it definitely, because of where you are in your headspace at the time, it, it feels that way. And it's just like, looking back, yeah, those are lessons learned, definitely. Mm-hmm. So when you got, um, when you stepped off the team yeah. at Davenport, where were your next steps from there? Well, I mean, my next step was because I, I was just super familiar with the coach at Aquinas. Okay. And, you know, I've had talks with him previously, even playing against Aquinas. Nice. In the fall or stuff like that. You know, he gave me tons of compliments. So I'm like, I could probably transfer here. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the second that happened, I was just like, I called him up and I'm like, hey, do you still want me? Yeah. Because... I just got kicked off the team because I contacted you. So I'm like, uh, can we make this happen? And he's like, come on down. Nice. So I ended up transferring to Aquinas. Um, and Davenport did give me a full release of my scholarship. So if Aquinas chose, I could have played that year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I ended up redshirting that spring because I came in the spring. Okay. Um, which I think was good because uh, – Greenslate basically told me it's like we would want you to play, but we've also had this team together for half a sem- for a half a year already. Mm-hmm. We don't want to just bring some new guy in. Yeah. And now it's more competition. Yeah. Which I completely understood. I'm like, yeah, let's redshirt, and then I have two full years exactly that's under Aquinas. Yeah. So that's kind of my how I got to Aquinas. Okay. And then once you got to AQ, was it sort of like them throwing you in these different positions again to test out, like, you know, utility-ness, I guess? It or? was kind of an experiment, really, because okay. um, I came in, you know, because uh, I came in and um, started fall ball at second base. 
okay. trying to win the second base position. Mm-hmm. And then I started playing some third base. And then I started playing some outfield, too. So when I got to Aquinas, I actually started playing more positions than I even played at Davenport. Hmm. In different ones. Third okay. base was still familiar to me. Mm-hmm. But then I moved to the middle of the infield, mm-hmm. whereas at Davenport, I stayed on the corners in the outfield. Okay. So that was, and like the coaching staff was completely different. Luckily, I had my high school coach there as an assistant, so I had mm. something familiar. Yeah. And if the Aquinas felt more familiar to me, so it was a little bit easier adjustment than when I came into Davenport. Yeah. Um, but right out of the gates, it was like another experiment. Okay. Trying to find my place on a team that had guys there three, four years, and now I'm a college transfer coming in mm. right away. Yeah. So it, it wasn't the same as Davenport, but it was also similar okay. in its own different ways Yeah. and different adjustments that I had to make. So I'm assuming it was a more positive experience at Aquinas after you sort of had some lessons learned of, uh, through your experience at Davenport? It was definitely more positive. Um, I would say Aquinas, I wouldn't say I fully matured while mm-hmm. I was there. Like, I still had some tendencies that I had at Davenport. Mm-hmm. Um, but I learned my lessons from Davenport, and then I fully believe, like, Aquinas actually gave me a real shot to win positions, mm-hmm. to play different positions that I wanted, or even if I had to play the utility, mm-hmm. they actually gave me a real shot. And do you attribute that maybe to more communication between yourself and the coaches and them being more open with you? More de- Most definitely. Because okay. especially having my high school coach there, yeah. um, that familiarity of he kind of knew how to handle when I'm in those situations, like, mm. getting in my own way, yeah. like, he was the type of, he's the old school coach, like, not afraid to really get on you, and, yeah. you know, even looking back at it now, like, I tell people he's the best coach that I've ever had, yeah. not necessarily in baseball sense, but he's the best coach I ever had because I needed that old school mentality, like, not to let me get away with anything, mm. to really beat that home, like... Like, keep you in check? Basically, yeah. Okay. So... That really helped me a lot. Yeah, it it totally makes a difference when you have a coach that you feel like you can trust. And also when you're surrounded by like other people that you have previous relationships with. Because it allows you to feel like a little bit more relaxed and open. Rather than kind of being on guard more around people that you just don't know. And you're like, okay, you know, is this coach going to like me? Or are these other teammates going to like me? I know... As a transfer myself, I kind of felt similar coming into AQ, like all of those things I just explained. But I luckily had a friend who went to the same um, community college as me who was a year older than me. And so she kind of helped me to be able to open up and feel a little bit more comfortable at a college that was a little bit further away from home. And I didn't really know any of the coaches there. So for any athletes listening... Definitely make sure that you either, like, reach out to coaches beforehand and build that relationship with them so you can establish that trust and feel um, comfortable playing for them or have, like, other friends that you know that either play at the school or reach out and build relationships with the athletes before you get there. I think 
it I don't know if for you, but I feel like it makes a difference in how I play. It definitely makes a difference. And I always tell the guys that I coach, um, go to the place that makes you feel the most comfortable. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone gets caught up in D1, D2, oh, yeah. JUCO, stuff like that. Like, if you're not going D1, D2, like, a lot of kids, especially now nowadays, like, they don't want to go JUCO or NAIA yeah. because it makes them feel like they're not a great player. Yeah. I can tell you right now, there's plenty of JUCO teams around the country that could compete in the College World Series easily. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's NAIA teams that you see draft picks come from. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not unheard of. Yeah. Um, everyone has their different path, but if you don't build that trust, if you don't have a relationship with someone on the team or a coach or even if you just have that relationship with the school yeah you're never gonna like it there yeah and if you do fall into those adversities it's gonna be a lot harder to get out of them so like any athlete that I've had that's been recruited I'm like I always ask them okay like how'd you like the coach Mm. um how'd you like the campus like do you know anyone going there um and then I'll ask them like why do you want to go there yes and if they (laughs) don't have really an answer I'm like that might not be the best fit for you like you should have a solid answer of why you want to go there yeah it totally makes a difference it's like if if you're questioning an athlete why do you want to go and they're kind of like stumbling it's like maybe it isn't the right fit because to perform your best you need to like feel your best and if you show up on campus and yeah, the the weight room might be super cool if it's a D1 school and, like, maybe you like their colors or something. I don't know. But if you're looking at the school for the wrong reasons and you don't feel right about the choice, then, it yeah, it will reflect in your playing. And, you know, maybe it's a lesson learned, but you'd rather make the right choice the first time than, uh, yeah, get there and be like, oops. Yeah. <laughs> And, I, I mean, I'll, for me, I, I honestly push a lot of my athletes to go the JUCO route yeah. or junior college route, mainly because, I mean, let's be honest, many of us at 18, we're like, I don't know what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And that makes a huge difference when you choose a college. Yeah. If you don't know what you want to do, a lot of these kids are picking it like, oh, it's D1 or like, oh, that's a fancy cafeteria or stuff like that. Yeah. But they don't actually know why they want to go yep. and they don't know what to do. Well, JUCO allows you to figure that out. Yeah. On top of that, if you go to a four-year school, more than likely you're not playing as a freshman. Mm-hmm. Nine times out of ten, you're not going to play at all as a freshman or you're going to get redshirted. Yeah. And those are the years, I mean, we talked previous, like, how I handled it. I didn't handle it very well. Yeah. And that happens to a lot of kids when they go to these four-year schools and have to redshirt, and you can't, you can do maybe half of what the team's doing. Yep. Or you sit and be low man on the totem pole. And you take it so personally, and it's like, why did I even come here? I'd rather go somewhere where I can be playing. And that's, I feel like I hear that a ton, where people go to I've literally heard of people going to Davenport too on the softball side of things and they get there and they you know they went because it is that four-year university and so it may look cool but then it's like they don't really mesh with the team or they don't mess they get there and they're like I don't really like the coaches or 
they don't really get to play and they take it personally and then that could affect their performance at maybe another school that they transfer to because it's like or even I don't know if you've had this experience with anyone that you've trained but um I've had plenty of experiences where it's like the coach recruiting me is a completely different per same person mm. but they're a completely different person in recruiting yeah than when you actually get on the field and they're your coach now yeah completely different person you're like um that's not the person that recruited me what happened i've not experienced it personally in my playing but i've heard of stories from other athletes who have dealt with that and yep. so yeah it's like i think the biggest take-home point um for any athlete no matter if you're playing baseball softball or whatever and you want to go to the next the next level is like do your research don't take the decision lightly because it affects your future so you know go to the campus for a visit talk with the coaches talk with the team see if you can get into one of their practices if you're allowed there's different recruiting rules for that and really get a feel for it before you just dive in based you know making your decisions on optics and then you get there and it's like this isn't the right fit so and do an overnight yeah you're allowed overnights to a certain to a certain amount do overnights as much as you can yeah. get an experience from the players that are going to be shadowing you and get an experience of the college life to see if you like it right and you know, I the reason I push people to JUCO is that life lesson of what I wish I would have done. Mm -hmm. I wish I would have gone JUCO because I wasn't a player that was ready to sit. Mm. I, I needed to play. Yeah. And very like very rarely will you go play as a freshman at a four year school unless you're like an absolute stud and just impress. Yeah. Or you the contrary speed or something. The contrary at a JUCO is it's very rare you're gonna sit a lot. Or get redshirted mm -hmm. your freshman year. Yep. Like, JUCOs are built to develop and get those players to those D2, NAIA, D1s. Yeah. So even if you are low man on the totem pole, you're still going to play a good amount and develop. Absolutely. And on top of that, you're going to pay maybe six grand. Yep. And you're going to save a lot. I mean, that's... I did the same exact... I, I did that route, literally. I played in high school and then I was determining do I want to go to Western Michigan University or do I want to go to the local community college and I think fortunately at the time I had friends from my varsity team that were going the community college route and we kind of all were talking about like post high school plans and I think that influenced me to go that route because I did talk with um, some contacts at Western and I was in that mindset of oh, it would look so cool if I played at the D1 school. But, like, in reality, you know, the end of my college or high school, I'm sorry, career, I was kind of at a peak in my, in my career. And so I could have gone to Western, but maybe I w would have, like, went into a valley and I maybe wouldn't have seen playing time like mm -hmm. I did at the community college route. And so not only did I get playing time in community college, but I saved a ton of money and had a really awesome experience got to live at home still to save more money and then ended up transferring because I decided I wanted to keep playing on so it really is like I mean that's why I work at a community college now too is like I want to help 
more high school athletes understand that, you know, JUCO is, I don't want to say, like, the right path, but... It's a very good path. Yeah, it just, like, makes so much sense, and it's very good developmentally, so... I push it really hard too. <laughs> and, and on top of that, not many people know most of these D1s and D2s mm-hmm. almost exclusively recruit from JUCO. Mm. They'll still recruit out of high school. Like, they'll still get, you know, a decent amount of freshmen coming in. Yeah. But a lot of the players that are going to play right away are going to be those juco transfers yeah because compared to a high school freshman or a high schooler coming in as a freshman or you have a two-year college player that has college baseball softball experience absolutely and a lot of the programs that have gotten really fat i mean we'll use davenport as an example Davenport has built their program from a first year naia school mm-hmm. to now their division two best team in the GLIAC. Yeah. Beating out Grand Valleys, Wayne States and stuff like that. And they took the route of it almost exclusively recruiting JUCO mm. and then bringing freshmen in to redshirt and develop them. Gotcha. So, and not many kids take this into account. Yeah. I think it's just, you know, not knowing when you're in high school of the different options And then not only do the students not know, but the parents aren't really aware either. I've been out recruiting before, and it's so much about educating the parents of the different options that exist. And, you know, when you tell the parent that they can save some money too, they're like, okay, you have my ear. (laughs) So it's like helping them to understand that this might be the right path for your, you know, kid, depending on how old they are, if they're... Yeah, under 18. Um, but yeah, just letting them know that the, the junior colleges do exist. There might be st- stereotypes about them, but it really is like when you can speak to it from personal experience, I think that helps to kind of persuade the parent or get mm-hmm. them to see it um, in a more positive light compared to, you know, they could be in the same mindset too of the kid of like, I just want to I just want my child to go to the four-year university because it looks cool and I can be, like, a Michigan State parent. And, you know, they they can get stuck in that. Uh, that way of thinking. Yeah, that way of thinking, too. So, yeah. Okay, so you went to AQ, got to explore these different positions, and then do you want to talk about your experience at Aquinas at all or maybe talk about where you went after AQ? Um, I mean, we can talk about what I did after AQ, because, I mean, I, I I had a solid two years at AQ. Mm-hmm. Um, my first year playing, I didn't play as much as I would have liked to, because I was still kind of, I was still the new guy on the team, I wasn't familiar, but mm-hmm. I did get a lot of playing time. Yeah. Um, I hit over 300, um, primarily... Which I, I was happy with, with That's the amount good. of playing time I got. Instead of playing all the time, like, it's really hard to do that mm-hmm. when you're used to it. My second year, um, I was the starting left fielder. Okay. Um, and then I would also start at second base a couple games. Okay. Um, and things really got hot down in spring. It was nice. I was hitting a lot of doubles. Um, unfortunately, my senior year down in Florida... Right when I got hot and got going, uh, about seven games in, I dislocated my left shoulder. Ooh. Yeah. 
Ouch. And that was the only injury I've ever had in my entire career. Wow. Um, and I did that diving back into second base after the guy at the plate hit a line drive. Yeah. And I was trying to get back. And I dislocated my shoulder. Um, and I had to sit out for almost half the season oh, no. rehabbing it. Ugh. So... Yeah, on top of all the challenges that I put on myself, yeah. now comes along the biggest challenge that I faced, which is being injured yeah. and not being able to go out there. Wow. So. <laughs> and that's like not only a physical battle for anyone who's never experienced injury or maybe just had like a subtle injury, but something that really takes you out, it's like there's a mental hurdle to get over too. So how did you handle that? It, it was it was tough because yeah. I mean I was still able to go to pra- like I didn't practice or play but for four and a half weeks I was in the training room I want to say almost every day yeah rehabbing my shoulder getting it back as strong as it could right um, but just not being able to practice not being able to play baseball not being able to swing a bat and you're watching everyone else do it and you're watching them play games. And you're just just like grinding your teeth and you're like, man, I will do whatever I can to get back on this field. Because, I mean, this is my last year. It's motivation at least. Uh And I did did four, four and a half weeks of rehab. The trainer wanted me to do almost the entire season, like almost six, six and a half weeks. Mm -hmm. But after four, four and a half weeks, I'm like, no. You feel good enough, I feel good enough. I couldn't. I couldn't push with my left arm, like, so I would still get sharp pain when I would push, but yeah. everything else felt fine, so I'm like, no, I'm, I'm playing. Okay. Like, this is my last year, I, I gotta go back halfway through. And they understand that as an athletic trainer, they're just like, they need to get the athlete to the point where they're okay enough to play, even though they might not be 100%. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, I, I love our trainer at Aquinas, KP, Kevin Parker. Yeah. Amazing, so knowledgeable. Um, and up until that point, he was still, like, he was able to say no. Mm. Like, he could tell me no, I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. Mm. But it finally was to the point where I'm like, I gotta play. And he's like, alright, it's gonna hurt a little bit, but you're good enough. Okay. So, um, I was able to get back on the field and finish the season out. Um, I lost my ability to hit for power to my opposite side so it was your left shoulder yep so i'm a left-handed hitter oh and um i've always been able to hit to all fields okay um especially gap to gap and i was i I could very effectively hit the left center gap pretty hard yeah I lost that ability. Like, the best I could do is, like, a soft line drive oh, no. to that side. So I pretty much became a pull hitter okay. right out of, right out of coming back. Gotcha. Um, so you would power that through with your right hand mostly? Um, how do I put this? I basically would just try to pull everything. Kind of, like, get your hips into it, but don't, like, apply too much pressure through the left shoulder. I would basically keep my left arm locked and use a lot of my right arm and get my hips opened up as much as I could. Okay. Because that's what was effective. Gotcha. Um, So, I mean, essentially with what my injury was, it took away the left side of the field for me. 
Yeah, that makes sense because the left side, you're going to hold the bat out further. Mm. The angle is going to require more kind of stabilization of the shoulder, whereas if you're more closed off, and then you can kind of brace more through the right side, I feel like. When you're, yeah, when you're pulling the ball, there's really no push. Yeah. I mean, what you'll, the only push you'll get is if you're a home run hitter, you'll get that extension after you make contact to keep the ball flying straight to the pull side. Yeah. But I was more of a doubles hit in the gap kind mm-hmm. of player. I wasn't a power hitter. Okay. So I could just hang on to this and not push. Yeah. And then when I got to a certain point, instead of pushing, I could just let go and finish one-handed. And I, I was, and I just made it work. Okay. Um, That's good. Work around the pain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There were a couple times, there were a few games that were painful, but, you know, before we really knew what's up, that's what ibuprofen was for. Yeah, I was going to so, say, you just popped the ibuprofen. Yeah, that was, that was bad. <laughs> that got bad. But, I mean, I it was my senior season, and I was still of that mindset. I, I can't yeah. I can't finish this way because I had no idea if I was going to be granted a medical redshirt or not. Hmm. So I just I had to go grind it out. Yeah. Plus, like you are saying, four weeks on the sidelines, you're just sitting there like it feels like you're dying. You're like, oh, my gosh, I just want to do anything that I can to get back on the field. Mm-hmm. So once they give you that green light, it's like – even if you do feel those little tweaks and pains, it's I'm like... I'm not going to say anything. Yeah, this is my life, and yep. if you take it from me, like, yeah, totally. It's that athlete mentality. Wow. So then your season ended. Was your shoulder pretty much healed up after you kind of took some rest? Um, for I pretty much had that pain in my shoulder for the whole season that I was playing. Yeah. Um, still did rehab as much as I could, as much as our schedule allowed. Right. Um, I finished the season batting like 290, 295, and even missing half the season, I tied for the lead in RBI. So overall, I had a good season, but it's like, what could have happened if I didn't get injured? Yeah. Um, and then I took about, I want to say a month, maybe a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. I didn't play at all. Yeah. And it was kind of in like, oh, baseball's done, like. But I still want to play. Yeah. So I just started calling all of the buddies that I knew that are playing summer collegiate ball. I'm Mm -hmm. like, hey, do you guys know of any teams open? And luckily one of them called me, and that's how I got hooked up with the Braves. Okay. Um, And it was kind of weird. Like, I took two, two and a half weeks off, and then I I drove down with my friend to go play in these games for the first time, Mm -hmm. and... I took BP, and all of a sudden I was pain-free. It was super weird. Wow. It was super weird. I don't even know how to explain it, but that was... Maybe just that little bit of rest was all you needed to, like, fully heal? It must have been, because the second I took my first swing, I'm like, that's weird. I don't have any pain. And then it was like, oh, I can actually play again. Heck yeah. (laughs) So that was was a good... Like, true green light. (laughs) True green light. Nice. Yeah. So was that, you said this was like a collegiate, like, travel ball club? Yeah, or? it's, so there are summer collegiate travel ball leagues. Okay. Um, a lot of the more famous ones are like Cape Cod, uh, Northwoods, okay. uh, the Alaskan League, okay. um, stuff like that. This is more um, kind of like high school travel ball, but for college players, it's not the top end like the Cape Cod. Okay. But it also allows it's also like a men's league too. Okay. 
um, where on the west side of Michigan, you don't really get super competitive men's leagues or collegiate teams. Mm-hmm. On the east side of Michigan, though, a ton of them. Okay. A ton of competitive teams. So when you say men's league, does that mean like older than college or? Yeah, older than college. Okay. That's why I was able to play for them. Even though they're considered a collegiate team, oh, they're also in a league and in divisions that allow players that are older. What, so would that be like a step below like AAA ball or? No, it would be as, it would be kind of like independent ball. Okay. Um. That's why I kind of combine it. Like, it's summer collegiate, mm. independent ball combined. It's, like, not better than either of those, and yeah. it's not worse. Okay. Depending on who you play. I mean, you will get teams that are worse, but yeah. then you'll also face teams that you won't see anyone coming out of their pitching staff throwing under 88. Wow. So So it's basically just, like, continuing opportunity to play. Mm-hmm. So when you started playing for them, is that when you started to get involved in strength training? Yes. That's okay. that's when I got involved with them is when uh, that was my first year at uh, Unreal. Okay. So let me ask, were you inspired to join a gym because, like, other people on your team were lifting? Or, like, what made you decide to go down the path of strength training? Um. I decided to join a gym because I didn't have my collegiate gym anymore. Oh. Like, I didn't have the structure of team workouts. I didn't mm-hmm. have the structure of I can walk from my house to my collegiate gym and just get in. Like, yeah. I needed to be somewhere to right. strength train. And now that I had the full green light with my shoulder being healed, I wanted to take it a step further. And I've always wanted to have a trainer. Mm-hmm. but never really could, like, afford it or yeah. didn't know ways of going about it. Mm-hmm. So the second I contacted Unreal, I was like, do you have anyone that trains athletes? Because I still want to play. Yeah. And immediately they, they hooked me up with Taylor. Nice. Did you have any, like, strength and conditioning that they put you through at Aquinas? Because we didn't do any lifting there. Um, it was more player run, so, like, the mm. guys that, we didn't have a trainer for the team. Yeah. Because back then, Boshan was running the athletic department, yeah. and he didn't <laughs> like to spend money very much. So, it was more player run, so, like, anyone that had experience in the gym, kind of, we got in a group and set up team workouts and stuff like that, and then okay. some of us that had experience, like, we would do more. The gotcha. Team workouts. But it wasn't, like, anything required or structured, no. really? Okay. No. So your, like, real introduction to, like, strength and conditioning was when you joined Unreal Fitness yep. and started working with Taylor. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I'm really interested to hear, like, what, how did getting involved with Taylor and, you know, following, like, structured programming, how did that affect what, your baseball career from there? So... Um, well, I mean, I'll put it simply. I never hit a home run in college. The first year I worked with Taylor, I hit five. Wow. With wood bat. Wow. And in college, we used metal. So, okay. you know, in that, the first weekend that I played was up in Manistee, like the real weekend. I played a couple of games before. Mm-hmm. But when we went up to Manistee, this would have been probably a month of working with Taylor. Mm-hmm. 
And um, I hit two home runs in that weekend. Oh, my gosh. So, I mean, right then and there, it's kind of like, oh, this is what a structured program can do. Yeah. We still had it tailored. I guess you could say half powerlifting, half... um, Like higher rep, maybe? More, I guess you could say specifically designed to make me a better baseball player. Oh, okay. Where we had a lot of rotational work, a lot of bracing, a lot of jumping, a lot of explosive power, work. Power, yeah. Yeah, and then the other half was powerlifting to develop that strength. Yeah, gotcha. Um, it was a real mix. Okay. And this is, since you were newer, I assume you kind of had, like, the newbie gains phase at that point, too, of just, like, seeing progress so fast in the beginning. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, I just, like, I don't know. I don't want to bash, but for private facilities or I don't think it's as prevalent in public universities. I think a lot of public universities are starting to implement, if they haven't already, strength and conditioning programs where people are using dumbbells and barbells and all of that. But in private settings, I think people are still, there's still that fear around lifting because people are thinking that, you know, oh, we don't want to injure the athletes, so let's just do plyometrics. Let's do body weight training and do lunges up and down the gym floor. And, like, while that's good for endurance and conditioning, it's like, man, when you introduce an athlete to barbells and get them doing, like, explosive, powerful movements, it completely changes the game. Like, not only do they get stronger, but they get faster, they hit harder, they hit home runs. And so, to me, and, like, I have a bias, obviously, because I'm a strength and conditioning coach, but it's like, yeah, it's a no-brainer that athletes should be getting involved in in that sort of training. So... I would have been, at this time, 2015, I would have been training at the facility that I did travel ball training at Mm -hmm. for three, four years now. Okay. And at the facility I came from and was with for a long time, they were strictly against lifting for baseball players. And what was their reasonings? Um, Injury. Okay. Which is common. Yes, which is very common, especially in the baseball world. You'll still get, you'll still get that. It's becoming more prevalent to get into strength and conditioning, especially using weights and barbells. A lot of programs, mm-hmm. um, more train, uh, travel ball training facilities are really pushing that. That's good. Um, and I mean, let's be honest. No major college program is not using weights. Yeah. There's no major college program. Yeah. That doesn't do it. Um, their reasoning behind it was solely the, the creator of their program, um, believed that if you lifted weights, you're going to get injured. Hmm. And I think that's just like, I don't know, I guess ignorance, maybe, I don't know how old that individual was, but fifties. Yeah. So it's like, we've collectively learned over time that actually strength and conditioning is a tool for injury prevention and doesn't cause injury as long as you do it effectively yeah Yeah. so i think you know it's so much that's why i was saying like it's so much of a mindset change and private facilities are starting to jump on board and follow suit of those public universities and same with like the travel ball um clubs or Mm -hmm. facilities that they train out of are starting to jump on board too 
So have you, um, let's see, you, okay, I, I want to continue your path of your baseball career. So then you started training at Unreal, and then from there you got stronger and faster and whatever, and you're, um... I wouldn't necessarily say faster. I wasn't the fleetest of, <laughs> wasn't the fleetest of foot. Okay, maybe stronger and more powerful is, <laughs> yes, is better. Yes, definitely did, definitely did that. So did you, how long did you play for the Braves, and let's talk about, like, your, um, escalation from playing to coaching unless it was kind of a simultaneous path it was so i started coach well okay so i played for the braves since from when i was 22 to when i was 27 28 okay last summer was the first summer i did not play for them okay since i got out of college gotcha um there's a very good chance i'm, I'm gonna play for them a little bit this year because it's more like I just want to see if I still got it yeah. after taking a year <laughs> off. I just want to, I, I think I still have a good year in me. Yeah. And I, I mean, I love being on a baseball field. That's the sanctuary. Yeah. Um, and I think for me, when I train and coach, but I'm also playing myself, I learn a lot from them. D- different perspective. Um, I started coaching and training baseball players the year I transferred to Aquinas. Okay. So I've been coaching and training players for almost 10 years now. Okay, wow. So when you say coaching, was that um, like a hitting coach, pitching coach, strength and conditioning coach? Um, it's, it actually, so it started as a hitting coach at Elite Baseball and Softball. Okay. I was, I mean, all of this stuff that I got into, it was kind of random. Hmm. Uh, I was hitting at Elite the year I was redshirted, mm-hmm. and one of the owners came up to me. He's like, "Hey, do you want to train baseball players?" I'm like, "Sounds like a great plan." I think I could do that. And <laughs> I just started training hitters nice. uh, to start, and then the more years I went down, I did a lot of fielding, did catching, but I always specialized in hitting. Okay. Um, coaching, I started coaching. Um, while I was training elite, I coached for someone different. Hmm. And that happened by random because I just went to a practice for my friend's little brother at Northern Little League. Okay. And one of the guys that was helping out coaching also coached a travel team. And he's like, hey, you know what you're talking about. Do you want to coach with me? I'm like, sounds like a plan. Perfect. So uh, I got into travel ball coaching and uh, training at the same time. Okay. Cool. And then did you, um, let's see, you worked at Elite with coaching. Have you, like, dipped your toes in any other, like, coaching facilities? Um, Yeah, so uh, I started my travel coaching with the Flames. Okay. I started with them while I was training at Elite, and there wasn't an issue. Um, And then the Flames asked me to be the head coach after, what was it? Actually, they asked me to be the head coach after two years of being an assistant there. They mm-hmm. asked me to be the head coach of their 18 new teams. And then Elite was like, we kind of have a conflict of interest. Uh, which was okay. I understood at the time, as young as I was. Yeah. So I coached at the Flames. And then I actually started the Flames strength and conditioning program the same year. Nice. So um, I was coaching there. And then I was also training depending on the day, five to ten kids a night. 
Nice. Not every day we had our set schedule, but I trained them strength and conditioning from the stuff I knew at the time. Right. And that was amazing. That went really well. That's um, so cool. My best guy, we got him from 80 to 88 throughout the winter. Wow. Which was a huge accomplishment Heck for yeah. him. How um, old? He was 17 wow. at the time. That's awesome. Yeah. So you, I assume, with strength and conditioning, you mean like you guys were using like actual weights? We didn't have much. Uh, I had medicine balls. I had bands. I had dumbbells. I had kettlebells. And then I used rice buckets. Basically anything I could get my hands on. Yeah, some sort of resistance. Some sort of <laughs> resistance. Uh, we had boxes for plyos. Okay. Um, we did, I ran them through agility. I ran them through a bunch of different things I would always structure it at what I had at the time I would always structure it like a warm-up a strength portion and then we would do a circuit for all explosive stuff okay. or I would flip that we would do the circuit first and then when they're burnt out we would focus on the strength portion gotcha. and really focus on technique okay. um, and at the time it really worked for me gotcha. um, and then things kind of we, myself and the Flames just had a disagreement on where we wanted to take it, mm. and I ended up going back to Elite okay. to train full-time, not, well, f as full-time as I could, gotcha. and then when I came back to Elite that year, they asked me to start coaching for them. Okay. So. Sounds like it was a really good opportunity, though. It was an awesome opportunity. I learned a lot, especially... Yeah. That's where I first started learning, like at the time I knew what I was talking about in terms of strength training baseball players, mm -hmm. not to what I know now, Right. but that was my first experience at learning like, not how to train a p player in the cage and on the field, but learning mm -hmm. how to train them in a weight room setting, in a workout setting, Yeah. and that was a really good experience for me. Because it's like, I don't know if you maybe had mentors in that role, but when, uh, speaking from personal experience, when you don't have, like, uh, I'll just, you know, flat out say it, when I started at GRCC, there was no other strength coaches there for me to be like, hey, how do you guys run things around here? What is your structure? So it's like, you pretty much just have to jump in and learn as you go and start applying everything that you've personally, you know, learned and... It makes you learn a lot really quick, and it's like, you, yeah, you see what does work, what doesn't work. Um, and the best learning tool are the kids that you're doing it with. Yeah. Like, they'll tell you, maybe not verbally, but you can see it. You can see it in the cage, you can see it on yeah. the field, and you can see it during the workouts. Okay, this workout really didn't work for them. Right. We got to switch it up. Right. And like you, I had to dive in feet first, because... I didn't have a certification, but like, I did know technique. I did know from what I've learned in the weight room. Mm -hmm. So, I did have to dive in feet first on how to teach these kids how to do it. Right. And it was a constantly adjusting. It's totally different, like learning yourself, and you can feel the movements, and you just kind of understand, like, oh, when I do this, my hips move faster or whatever. But then trying to break down that technique and cue it in a way that the athletes pick up on, that's like a whole different ball game. 
And then having the personal experience of playing baseball yourself and having the utility experience of all the different positions makes it that much more um, valuable because then you know, like, all, like, what are the different movement patterns that a catcher is doing? What about a pitcher? What about if you're playing third base or you're stealing and you're diving? And so you can, like, fine-tune a program and pick exactly what, you know, different position players need or specific athletes to work on their weaknesses and get it to transfer over to their game so that they can get the, like, most bang for their buck. And the best thing that I learned is, honestly, like, I started to learn it in the cages when, you know, I started training hitters, Mm -hmm. where it's like, they can't always put my words into their body and do exactly what I want to do. And And for me, I think that's why my personality in training... I really like my personality because I'm a very detailed person. Mm -hmm. So if they're not understanding it, I am going to put my hands and show them. Yeah, I'm going to assist and show them, and then it's like a light bulb goes off in their head. Mm. And I do this with my hitters, too. Like, there's times I will literally grab my guy's waist and shoulder, and I'm like, okay, you need to feel this. And they'll be like, ah. And you're like, yeah, I know. That doesn't feel good, but that's because you're not using it. Yeah. Um. And, you know, the best experience for me is now that I'm more structured in my programming, Mm -hmm. I don't like what I did with the Flames, Mm -hmm. but what I did like is the randomness of how we did our workouts. Mm. Like, I always thought of the workouts, like, I would think about them, but I wouldn't really have them set in my mind Mm -hmm. until I started writing on the board. Okay. And they would just come out to a certain workout, and we would just while we go, okay, we're not going to do 10, we're going to do 8. And mm-hmm. we'll just cross up with 8 on there. Okay. But we're not going to do 40 seconds, we're going to do 30. Stuff like that. Okay. And that randomness, for me, at least with strength training, helped me learn from the kids a lot more. Hmm. And I kind of apply that randomness to my hitting instruction too. Hmm. I do a lot of, and anyone that's hit with me for a long time, I just hit with one of them today, um, when we're really drilling, I do really weird drills. <laughs> I mean, super weird drills, eighty percent of the time. But and, sometimes you have to to like. I think you have to. Out. I think you have to because the biggest thing I see from kids of all ages, when you drill them, they're gonna try to apply that while they're hitting live. Mm. There's no way in the world that you can think about your mechanics of your swing and hit a pitch coming at you. It's just not going to happen. Right. So a lot of the drills that I do are to imitate those movements or get the feeling of the movements you want in the swing. Uh But they're so awkward and so real, you can't duplicate them in the game. Right. It wouldn't make sense. Mm -hmm. So... Do you have, like, any examples? I'm kind of curious of, like, drills. Yeah, so one that usually catches the eye, and I had to actually convince one of the owners early on why I was doing it because they didn't agree with it. Hmm. Um, I call it an over-exaggeration drill. Mm -hmm. So kind of like in the weight room, why do we put more weight on the bar? We're going to overexert the muscles, Mm -hmm. let them tear down, let them recover, and then they get bigger. So I kind of applied that thinking to this drill. Okay. And what I do is I'll put the T really far out in front of the kid. Okay. 
way far out than it should be. Yeah. And I'll tell them, I want you to hit this ball up the middle. But I don't want you to go reaching for it. Well, what do they try to do? Inevitably, they're going to go reach for it and they'll just use their hands. Mm-hmm. Well, this drill is meant to cue in terms of strength purposes or, or drill lower half. Mm. So I'm like, okay, you can't go get it with your hands in this drill. What's the only way to get out to that ball and like stride out there farther? Oh, there you go. of course, very simple. <laughs> yeah. But in but in baseball, it everything's about balance: forward, backwards, right, left, everything. Yeah. So if I'm gonna make them over exaggerate their front leg, I'm gonna make them over exaggerate their backs their back hip firing. Because that's what we use to fire when we're hitting. That's where everything comes from. Bat yeah. speed, power, Rotation. control, balance. And in the over-exaggeration, what it really looks like is almost like you're going to knee someone in the face. Okay. So when you really stride out there, and I'll kind of show you. Um, so if I stride out there, it's going to look like I'm going to knee someone in the face. Okay. I'm going to let that foot come off the ground I see. and I'm going to bring my back hip to my front leg. Okay. It looks really awkward. It's going to feel awkward. No kid does it right the first time. Yeah. Um, and when they do it, just the drill itself, magically, they absolutely piss on the ball right up the middle mm-hmm. without even trying. Wow. And what this is for me the basic part of it with the lower half and what we're trying to do is you need a strong front leg to hit against. Mm-hmm. And so if I make them stride out there farther, if they don't strengthen up that front leg, they're going to go reaching, they're going to fall over the front leg. Mm-hmm. So there's the first part. you got to strengthen up the front leg when it hits. Mm-hmm. The backside, instead of me trying to hit the ball somewhere with my hands what this drill is teaching is wherever i fire my backside my hands and that bat are going to follow so if i fire my hip up the middle Mm -hmm. more than likely my hands are going to go up the middle and magically the ball goes up the middle gotcha so it's more triggering where our bat speed come from is also a lot of where our bat control comes from Mm. all you got to do is grip the bat and let the hands go for the ride Gotcha. Um, the hard part is, as you can imagine, is these over-exaggerated movements are very awkward. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you'll see, the first couple times, you'll see a lot of kids fighting the drill because that's not what you're supposed to do. Yeah, not what they're used to. No. But what it does do is you'll start to get the feeling of what a strong front leg feels like yep. and what actually using your back hip feels like. So when you bring it back to the normal swing... No, don't don't do the drill, but you should still feel those two feelings in your swing. And it's kind of working like balance and stabilization of that front leg too. So it's it's strong and it's stable to kind of push against, right? It does, it does. But I don't tell the kids that's what we're working on. (laughs) The the, my my whole reason is behind it. One, it's already an awkward drill. Mm And two, if I just ran through that whole explanation before we even did it, yeah, you're going to screw that kid's mind up so much, yeah. you'll never get past it. Right. So that's what I use the first test as, like, hey, try to hit this ball up the middle before I show them what I want to do. Yeah. And then I make them do it, and it magically happens, and they're like, 
what happened? <laughs> and then I explain it, so it's like, oh. Yeah, yeah, light bulb moment. Yeah, so they're actually getting the feeling instead of me trying to explain everything on what this is the working on. The logic of it, yeah. yeah. And then when you break it down even further with what you just told me about balance, hitting into the front leg, stuff like that, mm-hmm. well, we can give them that, but if I just teach them strong front leg, use your backside. yeah. Now we're simplifying and condensing that even further than what it's the overall picture. Right. So they so if there is something to focus on, they're focusing on two things instead of ten. Yeah. And it's like, do they really care if you're like, hey, this drill is going to make your front leg strong and stable? They're like, okay, so what? Yeah, exactly. So I You'll think... maybe get one kid that's like, got it, coach. Yeah, I'm going to take that to the bank, write it down. Yeah. Most yeah. of them are like... Whatever makes me hit the ball better. Exactly. They care about their sport. So it's like being able to speak <laughs> their language and show them, like, this is going to make you hit home runs or hit doubles and triples. It's like that's what they care about because mm-hmm. they care about baseball. And, and that's what I try to do. I make the drill so awkward that when we get down to it, it's working on so many different things. But mm-hmm. we, I try to always focus on one or two. So when I'm doing these drills and I tell them, I don't care where you hit the ball. You could do this drill and kill the tee nine times out of ten, ten times out of ten. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. That doesn't mean you're not getting better. Yeah, you're not getting the effect that but we're if, looking for. But if we're doing the drill and you're feeling what we're working on, right. okay, you're going to get better. And yeah. it's, it's, really, it's really weird and funny. Like The second they start doing the drill and they're feeling this, magically... We start seeing the results that we're doing. Yeah. The hard part is, can we keep them repeating it? Yeah. I think that's so true. I mean, I see that when I teach yoga. I see it in strength training. It's like you have these different drills or poses or whatever that they might look funny or goofy, but it's like focus on what you're trying to, like the sensation that you want to feel from it rather than how you look because like people will get self-conscious and it's like, don't worry about all that. Just worry about, like, mm-hmm. you know, what is your goal? What's your mission? I want to jump back to, you were talking about the randomness of your programs, that you're mm-hmm. happy you've kind of um, developed that skill with the flames. So did you mean by that, like, you like being able to kind of see how the kids respond to your programs and then tweak them as you go? Or what did you mean by that? I I like that, and I also like to have the freedom of creativity. Yeah. I really like that, you know, because even within myself, when I start having a certain structure of, like, I can see we're going to do this, this, and this, even though I like being prepared for that, Yeah. if I keep seeing the same thing over and over again, it's like... Right. It gets kind of monotonous, yeah. and you feel like kind of, yeah, it's hard like, to oh, adapt. Oh, we got to do this all over again. Yeah. But if, but if I showed up, and you wrote that on the board the second I showed up, whether it's the same thing for weeks, mm-hmm. just because I showed up and see it right away, I go into that, like, tunnel vision. Mm. Like, oh, all right, here we go. This is the plan. Yeah. Gotcha. And the more creative I could get with it, I noticed in why I do a lot of random weird drills, I mean, there's so much more behind that. Yeah. But the more creative I'm able to be, I feel like I see more positive responses from the kids Hmm. because I'm happier when I can be creative. Okay. 
you know, even if we do the same drill every week for like six weeks, yeah, there's like 20 different other options and ways to work on that drill okay. if you can be creative enough. Gotcha. So. Kind of helps you probably to evolve too and like um, see new connections. It's like okay, we're, we're doing, or this is the effect, the desired effect we're trying to achieve and this is the drill that we chose last week to achieve the desired effect. But this week, I actually want to like have the player stand this way or maybe throw another implement into it. Mm -hmm. So it's different for me as a coach or you as a coach and for your athletes too, so that it just kind of keeps things fresh and allows you to kind of play around more. And it forces the athlete and yourself as a coach, you always have to be adapting. Yeah. Like there's no, I can't remember the term we use in strength training, like the body doesn't just settle. Yeah. Like if you do a certain movement or a certain workout a certain way for a long enough period, you're just going to lose all of your gains yeah. because it just gets used to it. Yeah. But if the more creative we can be as coaches and not let our players adapt to the drill, mm. it's kind of has that balancing act or bounces back to you as a coach. Yeah. Well, you got to adapt while they're being creative with your own drill. Mm, I see. And it just keeps, for me, it just keeps me thinking. Like, I'm always trying to find different versions of the drill that I do. Mm-hmm. And I'm also trying to find different drills that I've never seen. Mm-hmm. Like, for me, for example, I found today, just randomly looking at baseball Instagrams, yeah. I found three different drills that I never would have thought of, hmm. but now that I've seen them, I'm like, that's awesome, and I want to try it. Yeah, and you see, like, you or maybe you try it, and then you're like, oh, this isn't exactly what I want to do, so then you kind of find a way to make it your own, yep. and so it just, yeah, it keeps challenging you as a coach and helps your players to get better in the in the same token. And especially the more you know your players, like, I'll even take it a step further. Like, there's certain drills that I have specifically, or the way I do them is specific to that person. Mm. Um, or, like, I'll see one of the drills I saw today, I'm like, that would work really good for the problem we're facing with so-and-so. Yeah, yeah, being able to bounce and know who needs what in mm-hmm. their in their programming or in their... Hitting coaching, or do you do pitching coaching at all? Or is um, it- I have. Okay. I have, and I can. Um, the way I've described it, because I've had tons of parents at Elite when I was there, and you know, other parents when I've been coaching or doing independent stuff. I I've always been asked why I don't do pitching. Mm-hmm. Um, the best explanation for me, or that I can give them, is in game. I know the major points, like very, not basic, but the, the the very strong cues that you give a pitcher that's struggling on the mound of the game, I can yeah. I can recognize that and I can recognize what they're doing wrong and just be like, say one word, boom, fixed. Yeah. Where in hitting, I can see the little tiny details, like mm. let's say your your hands are strong, your barrel's working good, it looks like the swing should be where it's at, mm-hmm. but in reality, I can I notice oh your back hips not going, your shoulders are going. Mm-hmm. Like I can, for I can, can see those point. little tiny details that are really hard to pick up. Yeah. In pitching, I don't see those. Yeah. 
So in terms of training pitching, I can, but there's a lot of other guys that are way better than me. You so, gotta refer, probably. Yeah, so I refer or defer to them when yeah. it comes to pitching or trying to develop pitchers. Gotcha. That makes sense. It's like stick to what you know, right? Mm-hmm. You know your strengths. You were a good hitter. Now you are, you know, sounds like a really great hitting coach. So it's like that's your bread and butter that you're just going to keep getting better at. So I'm the same way with coaching. Um, I coached softball, the sport, for a few years before I just got into the strength and conditioning component. And I was like, you know what? I played outfield for most of my softball career. I want to be an outfield coach because that's what I know. I don't think, I feel like I would be doing a disservice to try and coach pitching. Like, I can recognize little things, and I know what it's supposed to look like, but I've never followed the path of being a pitcher, and so I've never felt it in my own body to be able to feel like I can do justice to actually coaching pitchers. (laughs) And, like, for me, what that goes back to, if I can't, if I can't be confident in what I'm telling that player, mm-hmm. why should I expect them to believe what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know, I want any player that I'm talking to or training or putting through development, which that's my main goal anytime I'm training. Like, all right, you're hitting 88, like you're hitting g- great over here, but we're not done. Yeah. Like, we're going to keep developing, we're going to keep learning. Progressing, yeah. But if I can't be if I can't be confident in what I'm saying to them or be excited about what I'm saying to them, or yeah. I can't push them, like why should I expect that player to respond to me? Yeah, I shouldn't. So I have a question as far as coaching. Have you ever dealt with, and maybe this is you know, it's not something you faced because crazy parents. No, I'm sure you've dealt with that. I've actually not really dealt with that Oh, that's because you're coaching college. Yeah. That doesn't happen in college. And I'm mostly in the weight room, so Uh luckily. Yeah, Yeah, I've heard stories from high school, or from friends who coach at the high school level, and I'm like... Oh, you think the high school level's the worst. You should see... Nine and ten year old travel baseball. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Wow. Just go find a tournament at Art Van Sports Complex, find the little ones, and just. Wow. Worse than high school? Let's just say you'll, uh, you want a chair and some popcorn because it's a show sometimes. Wow. Yeah. Well, I guess maybe it's, maybe the, the parents get not as bad by the time the kids get to high school because they realize the. They learn the lessons of there their... are some really bad ones. Yeah. Um, and you know, I've come across I've come across all sorts. Yeah. Um for me, what I what I try to put my understanding is is there's a reason these kids are playing travel ball. Mm-hmm. The only reason you play travel ball, at least at the high school level, mm-hmm. is you want to go play in college. Yeah. So you for me it's the level whether I agree with what the parents are doing or not, I at least understand why they're acting that way because it's like we we want to get our kid to college scholarship. Yeah, they're passionate. So too. I try to separate that part of it from your relationship with the from my athlete. relationship with the parents and the player. Hmm. But there's also times where it's like, okay, we got to sit down and talk. Yeah. You need to have a little discussion. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's for the best interest, I think, of all parties. Because it's like, you don't want 
whatever the parent is doing to harm the way that you possibly subconsciously treat the player. And you don't want the way that, I mean, yeah, you don't want to cause any poor relationship or... And, and I'll, I'll take that even a step further. I know kids that have lost out on scholarship offers because of how their parents are acting in the game. Oh, yeah. One of, I mean, there's been polls taken, but one of the number one things that college recruiters will look at when they go to these college tournaments, how are your parents acting in the game? Totally. Like, do you have, like, good parents? Yeah, because, like... Apple doesn't fall far from the tree sometimes. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so it's a great educational opportunity for the parents. And I think if as long as you approach it in the right way, it's going to, um, it will, the outcome will be a more positive experience for everyone involved. Well, so. And that's half the job and no, not half the job, but that's as much as we try to develop and educate the players to help them get to the next level, mm-hmm. which I think is my number one job. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hate losing more than the next guy, but my job as the travel ball coach, I need to get you to the next level and ready for the next level. Yeah. The Also, the part of the job for me is educate the parents on how they can help their player get recruited. Right. What to do and what not to do at games practices or even on their on their off days what Mm -hmm. should you be doing to help them get recruited because this is a very bold percentage that i'm putting out there i have no facts behind this but (laughs) i always tell parents and players 90 percent of the recruiting is done by you Hmm. not the college recruiter and when i say that it's you need to be sending out emails. You need to be sending out communication constantly. Yeah. Whether it's a hello, whether it's a player profile, whether it's a video. Yeah. And I have told players, if you want to get recruited, annoy the shit out of these college coaches. Yeah. Because they're not going to come see you if they don't know who you are. One thing about annoy the coaches, um, do it intelligently. Yes, I do agree with that. (laughs) Just from experience as a college coach, I've seen um, athletes, you know, they're passionate. They want to play at the next level, and they will reach out to the coach with a template email and then write, like, dear and it's the wrong coach's name. Yep. Or they'll say, like, I'm very Make interested sure in your school. you're dotting your I's, crossing your yeah. T's. And my, my favorite story is I had a kid that I coached in high school, mm-hmm. and I coached in travel ball, and Western Michigan's coach came to see him play while we were playing nice. solely because he was communicating with him on a daily basis. He didn't really know that much about him, but he's like, yep. he's been communicating with me for so long I thought I'd show him the courtesy of at least coming and watching him play once. Yeah, absolutely. It's like if you were in that position looking to play at the next level, you know, are, do you have schools that you have friends at that you're interested in playing at? Because then that's the first step is mm-hmm. like, the mo- um, you know, you always get opportunities based on the people that you know. So if you have a friend that plays there and you're like, hey, I want to play there too, have your friend contact the coach so that you can kind of have that foot in the door. If you don't have anyone that you know at the school, then, like you said, email the coach or somehow build that relationship in a intelligent and not mm-hmm. 
super annoying way so that the coach then you know send them videos or your your links or to your just profile say, hello hope you and your family are doing well yeah like even just do that a common courtesy checkup right it goes a long way at least a lot from the coaches that i've talked to at tournaments yeah. and for me in the question i would like to ask you how many how many uh, softball players have you gone and recruited because other college coaches of you have told told you to go recruit them? Other colleges have well, told me? other colleges have maybe said, oh. hey, we're full, but, like, you oh. might want to keep your eye out on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually happened a couple times. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I've recruited due to that. I've recruited due to players directly reaching out to me via my email. And it's like, yeah, those little... Um, uh, what's the word? Those little actions, they they add up. And it's like, okay, this girl's emailed me this many times, and, oh, there's a tournament close by this weekend. Let me go check it out. And so it's like be persistent, um, especially for the schools that you really do want to get into, and possibly get on a texting basis with the coach too or mm-hmm. give them a call or whatever and have them come watch you as much as possible so that you can prove, like, you know, you're good enough to play for their team. Because the biggest thing for me in, in baseball and probably softball, um, yeah, there's a lot of technology involved mm-hmm. now. Yeah. But in baseball and softball especially, it's such a close-knit group. Community, yeah. In any, any college sport, like how do people get hired because you know someone, but word of mouth gets mm. so many kids recruited yeah. Like you just said, like they might not want this kid, but hey, he's really good. We're full. You might want to go check this kid out. Yeah. That's and it just snowballed. It, it yeah. probably happens a lot more than even I'm saying it's happening. And I also try to tell kids as much as we've talked about, you know, comfort, get to know the colleges and stuff and yeah. where do you want to go? I've even told kids just send out as many as you can. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't have and absolute no plan of going there. Send it. Yeah, you never know. Like, Cause you want, yeah, you never know. And well, they might not want you, but hey, uh, school right down the road. Yeah. Right. It's like if the goal is to play at the next level, and you don't know exactly where yet, you might as well just like try to get your foot into every door that you can, and then you know the worst thing that's going to happen is maybe five out of 200 schools come back at you and they're like hey we're interested and you can possibly set up um time that's five more than zero yeah exactly (laughs) so what you've coached um at different facilities what is like your favorite age group to work with or like do you like the travel ball or the high school ball or college ball I had a good high school coaching experience. Like great kids, I got along with them a lot. Couple kids, just didn't fit my personality, but like mm. that didn't stop me from helping them. Yeah. Um, I love the travel ball. You know. Competitiveness. The competitiveness, but also like I love going to different places, seeing new ballparks. Like just as mm. much as the kids love travel yeah. and going to play on different fields, like as a coach and. It's Even as a player, exciting. it's like it's still awesome when I go to a ballpark that I've never been to before. Yeah. And it just gets that excitement up, like, oh, this is awesome. Let's yeah. go, boys. Yeah. <laughs> um my favorite age group to coach is high school age. Okay. 
you know, I, I do love coaching the younger kids because, like, seeing a five-year-old, like, turn his hips great and smash a ball Aww. and just the big smile that comes on the younger kids' faces, like, yeah. it just lights you up inside. So rewarding. And it's like, that's why I'm doing this right there. Yeah. Like, that big smile because what you just did yeah. is just amazing. I, I love or I won't say I love it more, but I prefer to work with the older guys because I can be more creative with them. I can mm -hmm. do more of the weirder drills with them because I know their bodies can handle it, mm -hmm. and I can keep adapting to them. Where the younger kids, you can still be really creative with the younger kids, yeah, but they just don't have the motor skills yet to do these certain drills. Absolutely. So you find yourself repeating a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, where the creativity comes with the younger guys is when you're repeating that much, how can you make the same drill different? Mm. With the older guys, I can keep rotating different drills, kind of like we rotate in the weight room, yeah. our main exercises, accessories. I can keep rotating it, and it stays in there longer. It stays fresher. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, like you said, the competitiveness on the baseball fields, like, I feel like these kids are like my younger brothers, yeah. and I'm so close <laughs> in age to them, like, I can get excited with them, I can go chest bump, I can yeah. go jump up and give them a shoulder bump, yeah. and I can laugh and say some things that I can't say to the younger yeah. kids, <laughs> and it's more acceptable, right. um, and when I do have to be hard on them and try to push them, mm. it's they have a little bit more maturity where most of the kids can handle it because I don't, I don't believe in singling out a player and yelling at them mm. in front of the team. If I'm going to yell at a player, I try to pull them aside, gotcha. away from the team. Yep. And I always put it out front with my players and parents that like if I yell or get mad. Like, one, I'm going to do it to the whole team. Mm -hmm. And the only reason I'll do it is if I don't think you're giving your greatest effort. Yeah. If you mess up, it's baseball. You're going to mess up. You're going to make an error. You're going to strike out. It's just the nature of the game. Yeah, game of failure. Yeah, I'm not going to get upset and yell at someone for making a mistake. But if I see you walking down the line while mm. you know you're going to get out or I see you dog a play or something like that, Okay, we're going to talk about, we're going to have a little discussion on your effort. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually, that reminded me of the question I was going to ask you earlier, which I don't think you <laughs> probably see as much, but what do you do when athletes come to you that um, they just don't seem motivated to do, like, the drills, or maybe you've seen this with, like, your lifting athletes, or... Like, that's something that I have definitely have been challenged with because mm -hmm. I feel like as a player, I was always passionate about the game, and I was always passionate about doing whatever it took to be better at the game. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know if for with those athletes that feel like they don't want to do the training. Like they're, not they're not practice players. They're gamers. They're not practice players. So yeah, that yeah. That... I think that might be the greatest question any coach has ever faced. <laughs> Simply because, I mean, every player's different. Yeah. Like, you will get, like, I've had high school, when I did my two years of high school varsity coaching, mm -hmm. 
and travel ball. Like, you do have those players, like, they're just not practice players. Yeah. But the second the game turns on, they're the best player on the field. It's it's mind-boggling, and sometimes yeah. it's like, I want to just strangle you, <laughs> right. but you just went four for four with a home run, so I'm like, yeah! <laughs> I guess um, I'm cheering for you. I think the motivation aspect is still one of one of the reasons like I do love doing this because you have to find different ways for different kids. Yeah, like, to communicate. Some kids respond to like my high school coach like I did getting a foot in the butt, mm. yelled at like I'm not going to let you get away with it. Yeah. Other kids respond to okay, you got to be their best friend. You got to I don't like the word coddle. I hate that mm. word, but like you got to be there for kinda them handled. and kind of hey, it's okay, don't worry about it, stuff like that. Other ones, you got to tell them, well, I bet you can't do that. Yeah. That's all you got to say to them. Like, I bet you can't do that. And then all of a sudden, a switch flips. Yeah. And they're going 100 miles an hour, and they want to prove me wrong. And then other ones, you just got to joke with them and mock them or do something like that. It's like every kid is different. Yeah. And the challenge is finding that motivation for every single one of them. Right. It's more of a relationship that you have to have with the individual rather than just like my coaching style is light a fire under each athlete's ass and like hope that works because I've definitely seen that backfire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I can tell you from experience that's really fired up some teams that I've had. Yeah. And then other teams, complete backfire. Yeah, yeah. It is true. It's like, it's not only an individual thing, but then as you kind of get to know the team as a whole, it's like you kind of have to mm-hmm. adapt to how you communicate with all of them to see how they respond best. Yep. Yeah, it's, it is like, I it feel like, you nuts, yeah, it? it's yeah. the biggest struggle as a coach. It's like every year I'm like, okay, I, I feel like I figured it out. And then you get in the weight room or you get on the field and you're like, Trying Man, to communicate I don't know with a player, what I'm doing. and you're like, "Shit, <laughs> why did that not get them excited and motivated?" Like, <laughs> I thought I did a really good speech there, and then you just get smashed by ten. Yeah. Like, Man, that didn't work. Wow. All right, we'll try again next time. <laughs> yeah. So, do you have preference to being in the weight room with athletes or to being on the baseball field or in the cages? Do you have one that you're like, I love this? Or do you kind of... I love them all. You like them all now? I love them all. I mean, I am such a detailed person, like hands-on person. Like, I want, if I can, I want to be there with them through it all. Yeah. Like, I want to, if I can train them in the weight room, cage, and go coach them on the field, I would love to do all that. Yeah. Because it's like you literally get to be involved in their whole entire journey. And you feel confident and capable enough to be able to say, like, okay, I know this is your struggle when you're up to bat. So this is what we're going to do in the weight room to fix that. Or Mm -hmm. this is what we need to do with bands to help your throwing on the field. And so being able to have eyes into the player to that level is just like, I mean, And just to see them succeed. Yeah. Just to see them succeed, like... Like, it's, it is very humbling when a player or a parent and they come up to me and they're like, thanks, coach, I couldn't have done it without you. Or, mm. like, thanks, coach, for doing this for me. I'm like, I didn't do anything. Mm. Like, that's how I treat this. Like, I didn't do anything. You did it all. 
Yeah. I was just there to kind of help. Guide. Like, yeah. guide and stuff. Like, you did all of this. This is your doing. This isn't my doing. Yeah. I was just there to kind of give you that, like, leading leading hand. Yeah. And for me, like, I see... I don't, I don't ever like to say that's my guy. Hmm. I, don't, I don't like that because I encourage guys, like, if you're super comfortable with me, like, yeah, keep coming back to me. Yeah. But also, I don't want you to be afraid to hear other voices because eventually, if you do get to the level we want you to get to, your college coaches might be saying something completely different yep. than what I'm saying. And you've got to adapt to that. You've got to be willing to listen to them. Yeah. Because I didn't do that when I was younger, and that hurt my career. Mm-hmm. I don't want that to happen to you. And I've run into issues, too, with... I'll have kids saying, my high school coach is saying this, Mm -hmm. but when I come in here, you're saying this, I'm like, okay, when we're in here, I want you to work on what we're working on. I want you to do what I want you to do. Mm -hmm. But when you go back to your high school, like, that's your high school coach. Respect them. Respect them. Do what they ask you to do, what you can do. Apply what you're learning here with me and put it to what they want you to do like Mm. take the practices you're learning here but apply the wording your high school coach wants you to do gotcha so it's like yeah you that's very humble of you to like say i mean yeah each each athlete is their own individual and they are not tied to you by any means but i think it does take like that selflessness to be able to say like continue on your journey don't worry about me like I'm only here to guide you and um sometimes it's hard as a coach because you want super hard because you want to like hold on to them and you know not have control but it's like you want to be the one to like empower them and uh yeah I I like to think of it as yeah I want to empower them but like Really, what I'm trying to do is get them to empower themselves. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, point. be able to take charge of your own life and yeah. be willing to adapt and be willing to do the things that I wasn't willing to do and give yourself those chances that I didn't give myself. Yeah. And if you ever need to come back to me for anything, all you got to do is text me or call me. Yeah. It's like, like the door's if always I, open. If I can, the door's always open. That's a good point. But, you know, even for the travel ball athletes that end up going to college and they're like this sport's not for me I also try to as best I can I mean I'm kind of a moron but (laughs) like I'm not like I'm not the smartest guy in the world like I'm intelligent but like you know I also try when I say prepare these guys for the next level Mm -hmm. I'm also like when they go to college and they're on their own besides the sport I want you to be able to handle yourself as a young man yeah in the world (laughs) on your own in the world as best you can yeah like if I've done that or I've prepared you for that next level I've done my job right yeah that's so true I I definitely see it that way in terms of um strength and conditioning or more like um coaching clients for my business outside of college coaching Mm -hmm. I should say is like that's my main goal make sure that's that anyone who comes to me i don't want them to feel reliant on me i want them to be able to eventually go on their own and you know do their own thing but i think it's i don't know why it's a little bit harder with like athletes that i coach on the field and 
It's the relationship you develop. I guess that must be it. It's like, yeah, I, I just feel like it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you feel so close to him, right? But anyways, so let's talk about some programming recommendations for maybe those those people as far as strength and conditioning. So um, people who are or guys who play baseball, but maybe they've been told like, no, strength and, or weightlifting is bad. You're going to mm-hmm. get injured. But they decide, like, oh, I, I do kind of want to explore this on my own. Do you have, like, any advice for where they should get started if they want to, you know, get stronger, more powerful, my, speed? My, my advice would be, one, I think you need to find, one, you need to find a trainer. Yeah. That does have, I don't want to say a specialty in weights, whether it's Olympic lifting, but you got to find someone that does know what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, Two, you have to be very open with what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, your goals. Yeah, your goals. Like, so you have to tell them, hey, like as a baseball player, we need to be very we need to be very explosive like Mm -hmm. it's a it's a short sprint Mm -hmm. like i always i always describe it whenever i train the strength that is we're trying to hit as hard as we can with that punch as Mm -hmm. quick as we can Mm -hmm. and then we're done and then we rest and then we're trying to do it over and over and over again Mm -hmm. and you can't you have to be able to be mobile you have to be able to be flexible but at the same time you have to be strong yeah so you have to be able to tell this person that you're entrusting your strength and conditioning program too. Like this is what we're looking for. Like I'm looking to be more explosive with my bat, be able to throw harder, but I'm also trying to stay healthy, flexible, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and if they can't do that, don't be afraid to look for more options. Mm. That's yeah. That's a good point is like, knowing as a player what are what are your weaknesses that you want to improve upon and really having like set clear goals so that when you do go to someone who knows more than you as far as like in terms of lifting then you can bring those strengths of you know your sport really well and they know the weight room really well and they'll be able to best um you know provide value for what you're trying to accomplish Mm -hmm. in your in your baseball career do you um, have, like, any online programs that you have provided to players, or are, are you looking into doing that? So um, this kind of ties into um, kind of the business side that mm-hmm. I've been going into. Okay. Um, so with the Braves, actually, um, it's called Pro Chop Training. Mm-hmm. And we have been working on developing an online application Okay. For baseball players, softball players too. We're more in baseball right now. And we're trying to bring an app that provides everything that these players go into facilities for, mm-hmm. but on your phone. So instead of paying $50 for a lesson for that day, mm-hmm. you would just pay a monthly fee and we would connect you with a coach mm-hmm. through our staff and you would be able to send us videos data all that stuff 
and we would keep we would make like little adjustments like hey we're going to work on this send you basically homework to do for the week and it's a constant communication back and forth mm -hmm. so you pay a monthly fee and you work at home instead of having to pay i mean you can get upwards of 150 a week wow. if you're going into a facility okay and what we're trying to do is we're also trying to include, I guess you could call it satellite locations. Mm -hmm. Whereas like, say I go to a local public high school mm -hmm. and I can put on the app, um, hey, I'm going to be here from four to seven today. Uh, and they can sign up with me and show up to that location. And get in-person coaching. And get in-person coaching. So we're trying to do a mix of the both. And we're also trying to include strength and conditioning programs. Okay. Um, apps are really hard to develop. It's still a work mm -hmm. in progress. Yeah. But that's what we're trying to do with ProTrop training. Um, we're trying to make it easier for our clients to do stuff on their own while also getting the same amount of coaching and training that you would get going in every single day to a facility. So is this coaching on just hitting, or is it pitching too? It's or? pitching, fielding, hitting, catching, pretty much all the things you would get at a facility okay. we're going to make available to these baseball players. That's awesome. Yeah, and right now the website is up and running. Okay. Um, we have capabilities of um, signing, basically putting a, how do I put it, um, like a sign-up form, okay. and we have the ability right now through the website to get in contact with players okay. and do that. We're still working on the app, okay. but um, right now the website's up and running, and we're just trying to get the word out right now. So it's kind of like you have a wait list sort of forming, and then once the app is launched, then you can start doing the video analysis with these people who yep. have inquired. So it's kind of like uh, you would do the form, and then they would assign one of us coaches on the staff, mm -hmm. like, hey, this is what they're looking for. You're the coach for this guy. Okay. And then the emails would start, and then we would just basically kind of specify everything from there. Mm -hmm. Hey, do you want to go to the field? I'm going to be there. Or send me a video of him hitting, mm -hmm. and I'll be like, okay, this is what we want to accomplish. This is what... Um, our overall goals are, but for this week, okay. I'm going to have you do such and such drill so many times, send me back a video in a week, kind of almost like a personal training strength coach, Yeah. but for overall baseball. I see. So right now, they could, if someone was interested, go to the website, um, I guess sign up through the email intake form or whatever you guys have them apply through and then they can still get the feedback via email until the app launches yep okay and then with these satellite coaches is this something you're implementing like all throughout michigan or like where yeah so the braves right now are located in the saginaw uh grand grand blank i think that's right is that right <laughs> grand so. blank area they're located there okay um I'm the only coach on staff that's on the west side. So what we're trying to do is be on the east side and the west side at the same time and bring more players together I see. through this app because all our focus is, is on development. Mm -hmm. So if we can make development 
easier for these players and more affordable because, I mean, travel ball is super expensive. Training is super expensive. Even when you get into the weight room as a college player or older person, like, training is super expensive. And we're trying to make all of that data collection and videos and one-on-ones, we're trying to make that as affordable as we can Mm -hmm. while not sacrificing the amount of training and coaching we're giving these players yeah the quality of Mm -hmm. what they receive because it's it might not be in person every time but it's totally doable they have apps i don't know if you're familiar with like true coach is one for strength and condition or i don't know if it's really strength and conditioning but for fitness coaching Mm -hmm. you can upload videos of training sessions for coaches to provide feedback um I don't know. I know there's team builder as far as programming for teams. There's, there's, I think there, there's a bunch out there. There's yeah. even some, like what the app we're trying to do, there are some apps out there that do it. But the closest one that I know of right now is out of Missouri. Okay. Um, so the stuff we're trying to do just isn't accessible as yeah. much in Michigan. Gotcha. Um and we just want to make it more accessible and bring yeah. our philosophy of development first. And there's a need for it. There's a huge need with for the, it. I don't know what the price point is that you guys would be working at, but I'm sure with, I mean, it, you know, you have the right, um, the quality coaches on staff and you have the technology available. It's like, it's bound to And we also traction. have the teams so far because we still have the collegiate team which was the first and has been operating for almost 10 years Mm -hmm. um the founder of the braves and the guy that's heading pro chop training jim cosmeric awesome guy i consider him a mentor in Mm -hmm. the baseball field um his two young boys play baseball so i mean kind of how the the ball rolls gotcha yeah you know with a bunch of college connections coaching college a collegiate team you know once they get to a certain age now they form their own 12u and 14u teams gotcha um so and that's also one thing we want to bring to it too is we want to bring a connection of not just the training but hey if you're not super satisfied with where you're playing at or the organization you're playing for we also have the connections Referrals. to find a team for you. Gotcha. So it's more than, yeah, just the, the feedback of coaching. It's also a whole community of people who know people mm-hmm. and <laughs> can, yeah, help players to develop in that way too. I mean, I feel like that's how baseball is. I mean, yeah. I, mean I have some really close, close friends that I grew up with, but... A lot of the friends that I keep in touch with are from baseball. Oh, yeah. Like, they last a lifetime. They do. And And you don't realize it when you're, like, playing the sport with them. At least I didn't. Mm -mm, You don't. But then, yeah. Then all of a sudden, 10 years later, you're still hanging out with the guy you played next to on the field. Exactly. Yeah. And it's the most, like, the biggest thing you go and talk to someone about. Like, if you're in hard times or good times, like, that's the person I shared that with. Yeah. I'm going to go right back to them and... You know, that's the thing about these travel ball teams and the experiences that they get and what Pro Chop Training wants to do is we want to be able to give that to kids mm-hmm. also at an affordable rate. And that's why, too, 
This is actually the first time I'm really announcing this. Oh, wow. We are starting an cool. 18U team. Oh, wow. For okay. 2021. Um, myself, and I do have an assistant coach. I didn't get his permission to announce him yet, <laughs> but uh, he's a former pro scout, Division One baseball player. Nice. Um, knows so much about baseball, and in terms of pitching and catching and stuff, he knows way more than I do. Mm-hmm absolutely love working with them and our goal with this 18u team is to make it a development team for as many players as possible but the real goal is to make it um i guess you could say a scholarship team hmm. whereas you see so many of the top teams and even not the top teams around the state and in the country you're paying upwards of 1500 two grand some teams are three grand here in the state mm -hmm. and we want to make this almost free hmm. if we can i mean we got to get the funding to do it right but we want to treat this as a scholarship team so the parents all they have to worry about is their travel fees and their hotels mm -hmm. and the kids all they have to worry about is go play baseball yeah, and get up. better as a baseball player. Like, we want to make this as affordable as possible if we can get it to free for them mm -hmm. and give them, like, six college showcase tournaments, go to a PBR showcase, play some fall ball, give them swag, like gear and bats and stuff like that. Wow. And it's no, no cost to them. That's our goal okay. with this team. Will we accomplish everything in the first year? I don't know. You know, we're off. We're off to a good start, I think. Mm -hmm. um, we're waiting for the high schools to open. Yeah. <laughs> um, because um, right now in Michigan, with with some restrictions, high schools can't rent their fields until the end of the official school year, okay. which I believe is June thirtieth. Okay. And that's what we're waiting for so we can get our trial set up. Um, but we want to give these kids the experience and get them looked at and get them out there and exposed yeah. without the cost of most of these travel teams. And also as coaches for us, I guess you could say selfishly, is like if you don't have to pay as much for this team, what you get in a lot of travel teams is – well, we paid this much to be on the team. Why is he not playing as much? Mm. We don't have to worry about that. It's all about baseball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It changes the dynamic. Mm -hmm. So this would be based out of Saginaw then? This would actually be based out of Grand Rapids. Oh. This team would. Okay, because that's We would still are. work, I guess you could say, based out of Saginaw. Mm. But we want to bring this to Grand Rapids. Okay. Um, because... There's a lot of good baseball players here. Mm. A lot of good baseball players. And there's a lot of good baseball players that aren't on the best teams mm. because they can't afford to be. Gotcha. Um, okay. And that's what we kind of want to do away with. You see the need for it, so it's like... No, I mean, and how do you get recruited? If you're not exposed, yeah. you're not. it's hard to get recruited. I mean, how many players, even at Aquinas that we know... Mm -hmm. We're talented enough to be on Division Two, Division One teams, mm -hmm. but no one was there at the right time yeah. to see them. Exactly. It's just like missed opportunities. Mm -hmm. 
So this is so you got how will you guys be like announcing your tryout if people are interested? Um, so when we get a date, that's pretty much what we're waiting for is being allowed to rent a field and get a date. Hmm. The second we get a date, um, it will be announced on the Michigan Area Braves website. Hmm. Um, it will be announced on the Pro Shop Training website. Um, there's actually already a sign-up form for the 18U team on the Michigan Braves website. Mm-hmm. Um, you will start, everyone that does it, you still will have to go through a tryout. <laughs> we do got to see you, but we're going to give everyone a fair shot. We want to carry 20 kids. Okay. Um, I, we want to make this a college showcase team, like POs, rotating lineup, um, enough position players to last the weekend and we want to play in as many college showcase tournaments as we can find and Mm -hmm. we also the Braves last time I talked to Jim Kosmerich they he signed a deal with PBR to run a PBR showcase at the Genesee Fieldhouse sometime at the end of this year I can't remember the exact date but we also want to include that showcase in our team fees yeah so um what about like travel distance would it be like within the great lakes region or um, you guys considered that yeah so for me as a travel coach mm-hmm. um i've never the furthest i've gone away with my teams is kentucky about okay. seven hours away yeah and i only did that for one tournament just to get a different experience yeah um I usually have stuck to like University of Michigan, University of Indianapolis, um, Toledo. Yeah. Kind of five hours away range just because of the logistics behind it. You know, not every kid, even if we're able to do the funding that we have, what we want to get. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, all these tournaments start on Wednesday, Thursday. Right. How many parents can get off work? Get the finding kid kids rides stuff like that yeah so we would like to do at least one tournament far away just to get a good experience and a different exposure to these kids mm-hmm. it kind of depends on the the feel of the players feel of the parents like how far are you guys are willing, willing yeah are you guys willing to go gotcha but that's definitely a goal yeah especially moving years down the line yeah it's definitely a goal to go farther away if we can make that happen absolutely i remember playing travel ball myself like when we had opportunities to go to like pennsylvania and oklahoma and like you know when you're younger living in michigan it's like to be able to travel out of state to these Mm -hmm. different locations is definitely appealing if you can swing it anyways and especially going to different parts of the country you see so many different ways to play baseball so Mm -hmm. you're not only getting exposed to different colleges different coaches that come to scout but you're getting exposed to Oh, every single kid on that Texas team can throw 95? Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, yeah, that's a huge thing with the southern states. I remember when I was 12 at a tournament, there was a team there from California, mm-hmm. and these girls were able to play outside all year round, whereas in Michigan, we're bound up in the winter inside for, like, nine months. And at 12 years old, these girls, like, 
were so impressive. They worked so cohesively as a team. I still remember the name of their team was Intensity, and they were just, like, so sharp. They Mm -hmm. had, let's see, they had, like, fielding coaches. They had specific hitting coaches and pitching coaches. And I just remember being, like, in awe at 12 years old and being, like, man, I wish we like I wish my team could be that good and Mm -hmm. it was just like so inspiring you know so that's a great point of allowing players to see what's possible when you travel to other states and see different teams and how they operate and it just goes back to the basic philosophy if you're not willing to do it there's someone out there that is yeah and that's a good wake-up call sometimes yeah and for us you know when we're trying to get these kids to the next level it's like you got to be here yeah and another thing we we want to take off a lot of the kids plates is okay if we get you exposed here but no one bites we also have between me my assistant coach jim and some other guys that are associated with pro chop training and missionary braves Mm -hmm. we have the home connections for you to get you looked at exactly which not every i mean a ton of people in travel ball do have their own connections but not everyone has them yeah and it makes a difference Mm -hmm. too so you said um, it's going the this app will offer the hitting and the pitching and fielding whatever related to baseball. Is there going to be like a strength and conditioning component involved? Yes, there there will be a strength and conditioning component because what we also want to be able to provide is kind of have you ever heard of Rapsodo or Hit Tracks? So Hit Tracks is more of the well known one. It's where you'll see kids go in and it's on like a big T V screen and they hit a ball and they can see how far it goes. Oh, like and virtually? Pro- yeah, and it kind okay. of provides data back. Gotcha. Um hit Rapsodo, which I think to be honest, is a little bit more in depth. They provide so much data points like exit velocity, mm. um, barrel angle, where the ball comes off, where it goes. Um a bunch of different things gotcha. and we're trying to implement using that technology and put it in the app so mm-hmm. not only am i giving you homework back to do on your video i'm also giving you like kind of a monthly check-in hey this is where your exit velocity is gotcha this is where your ball angle is this is where your bat angle is stuff like that yeah data points to kind of track their mm-hmm. progress basically yeah so not only do you get the visual progress you're also getting the actual data progress same as like if we're in the strength and condition or if we're in a weight room mm-hmm. we want to see that progress keep moving up yeah um and that's also something we're going to provide too eventually when we get the app running is kind of like if you, the excel sheets you provide your clients mm-hmm like, hey, this is what we're going to hit, fill in your numbers, mm-hmm. same kind of concept. Mm-hmm. We're going to give those sort of sheets, here's what we're going to hit, and then we're going to have more testing. Hey, this is where you're at now. Benchmark, yeah. And all of those data points that we're connecting to these clients back and forth, now we can also use that app and those data points. And let's say our client sends out a couple videos and stuff to five colleges. Mm-hmm we can take those data points through our connections and send them out to 100. Right. It's like you can actually tell a meaningful story mm-hmm. about the progress that was made through their um, through working with you guys, basically. Yeah. And especially if that player, like, 
like you said, can't go dot the I's, cross the T's as well. Yeah. We can take it upon ourselves, like, hey, do you want us to contact all these people? We're going to send out this, and we're going to put something together for you mm. and be like, hey, you should look at this kid, look at all of this. Gotcha. That's nice. So you're kind of providing them a template to just help them in their mission. Yeah, help them get to their next level. Because they, they don't know what they don't know. It's It's, yeah, it's so true. Like, you know... The kids that want to play at the next level, maybe they've played since they were five and they have some travel ball opportunity, but, like, the high school coaches or maybe even the, tra- the travel ball coaches, like, don't know the people to talk to mm-hmm. to help that kid. So it's, like, if they work with pro chop training or just know the right people, they're more likely to be able to get where they want to go. And then also we can... Um, we can provide a template, hey, this is where you're at, this is the numbers and stuff and the data points that we want you to be at, or if you want to play for X, Y, Z, or you want to play, if you're a freshman and you want to play varsity, this is what a true varsity player Mm -hmm. looks like on paper. So like player profiles of Mm -hmm. like different schools or, yeah, that's a great... It's a great opportunity. Because I mean, when we talk to the when we talk about the next level, like it could be as simple as I want to. I go from my freshman year, and when I'm a sophomore, I want to play varsity, hmm. or even freshman to JV or varsity ball to play college. Or mm-hmm. you're a ten year old, and all of a sudden your data points are like you can go play twelve U. Yeah, it's like they don't know unless they have someone who's like helping to guide them and if we can give those data points or that instant feedback through email or through the app we can also tell those kids hey you might be at the age to play 14u but to get you more exposure and show what your data points are as a freshman you really should be playing a year or two up yeah you know and get that whether you accomplish those goals in that year you're still seeing the competition and the data points and the videos of kids two years older than you. Yeah. And that experience, in my opinion, is invaluable. It is. Yeah, experience, it's everything. It's, uh, it's, you guys are empowering the kid and instilling confidence that they might not see in themselves because, you know, them living it day to day, they might know that they're the best person on their team but they don't really see what they're truly capable of because they might just be that big fish in the little Mm -hmm. pond but once you are like no you need to get the experience at this next level they might hold themselves back because they don't want to go to being that small fish but it's like that that's where your growth lies you need to make that jump so that you do get the recognition and it's only going to push you to evolve even further. And at the very least, what this app and what our website can do and what we want to do for our 18U team is, hey, we might not be able to be with you in person, but being able to provide you this instant feedback and mm-hmm. seeing what you're doing, we can still hold that accountability to that player and be like, if you really want to get here, like we're going to help you as much as we can whether it's in person or just helping you write a recruitment letter anything yeah like the the core for me and what i think 
Jim and the Braves and Pro Shop Training wants to do is our focus is solely on development. Just because you're the big fish in a little pond or you're the best player on the team, there's so much more development that you can do to take your game to the next level. Yeah. And we want to instill that in all of the players that we're in connection with or that we bring into Pro Shop Training in the Michigan area Braves. Gotcha. Knowledge is power. Exactly. And there are no limits. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, is there anything else that you would want listeners to know about this new app or about the this new team that you guys are forming? Um, for, or about coaching or about playing baseball? I mean... Just do what you love. <laughs> just keep doing what you love. That's, Put everything you can into it. Don't be afraid to fail. This game is a game of failure. I hate that quote, but it is. That's it so true. really is. Yeah. And probably be patient in the process. Sometimes, I know I asked you if you have anything else to say, but now I feel like I need to snowball on top of that. Um, be patient in the process. And like Seth was saying, it's the game of failure. Even if something doesn't go the way that you imagined it to go, like, back to your story at the beginning you thought you know this is the path I want to go at Davenport but um be open to other opportunities and don't just be stuck in your own way (laughs) yeah I mean there's always another path yeah there's always another path and for me what the Braves have given to me and what we want to do with pro chop training is we want to be able to provide not just one path we want to be able to provide so many different paths and avenues for these players to take, mm-hmm. whether it's through the app, through the website, on our 18U team, especially our 18U team. Mm-hmm. You know, with the amount of knowledge that we're going to be able to bring as coaches, um, with our experience in college as a pro scout, D1, NAIA, our experiences in travel ball, talking to college scouts, training kids. The amount of knowledge these kids are going to get and the amount of effort that we're going to put into this team because one thing we want to do with our funding too, and it's a very sensitive topic in my opinion, is pay the coaches well. Yeah. You know, whether it's high school, college, until you really make it, you're not paid very well. Mm-hmm. And what we want to do with the funding and with whatever team fees we have, which already without funding, it's less than the majority of the teams in the state Mm -hmm. but if we can pay our coaches well whether it's me my assistant coach or 10 years down the line and we have someone take over paying those coaches well you're going to get that coach's full effort that he wants out of your players you're going to get that coach's full effort in developing these players Mm -hmm. every single day you're not going to get the coach that has a few couple kids that he can't get through to and he's like well i don't get paid enough for this yeah that's not what we're about at the braves in the in pro shop training like no whatever we're taking in monetarily mm-hmm. like you're gonna get 100 percent effort from us to make you as best of a player as we can or get you as close to the goals or hit those goals mm-hmm. as you can that's really what we're about yeah we're me as a coach personally like I don't ever give up on a player yeah I can't like no matter if I'm connecting with them right away or I connect with them in the last tournament like I'm going to keep trying to 
get you to the next level. Right. And as many passes we can open to them, that's our goal as an organization. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's like your passion pretty much fuels what you do. Like, even if the passion isn't equally met by the player or the athlete, it's, it's like you care so much about it, their improvement that you're, even when they don't see the, um, progression for themselves it's like i see i see something in you Mm -hmm. that you don't see and that's so important as a coach it is because i mean it goes it goes back to exactly what i said if i don't believe in that player Mm -hmm. how are they supposed to believe in me as a coach and more importantly how are they supposed to believe in themselves as a Mm -hmm. player yeah like that's that's what we get into this for and that's what honestly playing for the braves and getting into that organization has really taught me like Mm -hmm. It's not just that your coach believes it. Like, you got to believe in yourself and yep. where that avenue opens up. Believe, okay, I'm just going to take this, and it's going to take me to the right path. Yep. And that's what we're, for me, especially with this 18U team, it's not that we just want to open up these paths. We want to make these paths easier for you to take. Mm-hmm. Like, where you don't have to fight it. Mm-hmm. Like, there's so many different easy routes to take. It's like, okay, that one. Yeah. And, I mean, for me, I can tell you right now, the coaching staff we've put together for this team, it's not only going to be a ton of knowledge. I can tell you right now, we got a lot of good personalities <laughs> in the organization. And as a coaching staff for this 18 team, it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. That's awesome. I can promise you that. Yeah, it, it helps when the coach is not only, like, having the knowledge is great, but you're dealing with other humans. You need to be, like, relatable and know how to communicate and all of the social skills that allow you to, you know, dive into those deeper relationships, too. Yeah. And, I mean, at the end of the day, it's still a game. Yeah. Like, if we can't have fun on the baseball field, what's the point of being out there? Exactly. Like, the baseball field, and I've told kids this, it's a sanctuary. Mm-hmm. It really is. We're on here for two hours. Any issues or whatnot, once you step inside those gates, like, like you're let here for go. two hours. Like, just let it go. Yep. We'll deal with that when the game's over. Yep. Like, this is your sanctuary. Have fun. Exactly. Just play. <laughs> um, all right, so if people want to contact you about, you know, getting involved with this new app or joining the team or maybe they just want to pick your brain more for all of your knowledge on baseball, how mm-hmm. can they get a hold of you? Um, so for the team-wise, uh, there is a sign-up sheet on the michiganareabraves.com. Um, there's to get a hold of us for ProChop training, uh, go to the website ProChopTraining.com and fill out uh, the sign-up form or I haven't looked at the website in a while. Jim's really <laughs> taking care of the website. I'm more of the once players sign up, they'll send them my way, and gotcha. I do the the hands on. Not the tech guy. No, I'm not the tech guy. I'm the hands on, start developing. Let guy. me coach you. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, for me personally, it's also on the Pro Chop Training website. But if you need to contact me, uh, my email is Seth at ProChopTraining.com. Okay. And I'll be sure to include all of those in the show notes so that they're easy to find. 
Do you have any closing remarks or anything else you want to let listeners know? I'm just excited to get this team going. Yeah. I'm really excited to get it going. It's going to be a heck of an experience. Um, I think people are going to be surprised at how affordable this team is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people are going to be pleasantly surprised at how well of training they're going to get from Receive. us. Yeah. Um, whether it's in person or even online, we have a lot of knowledge that we want to give to kids and players. Um, and all we care about is developing these kids and get you to the next level as much as we can. That's awesome. I'm excited to like, I don't know, see a live demo or something of the app once it's done and, um, follow how your team does for this next season or the first season, I guess, and see where it all goes. So. I'll keep you updated as much as I can. Yeah, good luck, and I know you're going to do great. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate you having me. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for being on. Thank you for tuning in to the Pursuit of Authenticity podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we would be so appreciative if you show your support by leaving a review or sharing it out with friends and family who may also benefit from the episode as well. Our goal with this podcast is to share knowledge to create a physically, mentally, and emotionally stronger version of you. So if that resonates with you, be sure to subscribe so you can be notified of future episodes. See you next time.